This is The Clues Chronicle, issue 14. Please enjoy a slightly more raw audio this time. Thank you. Today is October 27th, it's nearly Halloween, and we've got a spooky story to discuss today. Well, spooky in the sense that it may involve government spooks, but... Um... Ha <laughs> ha, government spooks, they're the scariest. <laughs> <laughs> they do have a quirky sense of humor, it seems. Sometimes a bit uh, twisted. I don't know if they if they're really aligned with the common people's sense of twisting and turning things on its head. They seem a bit power mad. Mm, I agree. I'm nodding my head in agreement. I'm glad that you're doing that. I can't see you do that, but I trust that you're doing that because I trust you, Kay. I. I've come to trust you, and that's really, it's a good feeling to be able to talk with someone else about these difficult topics, which which are all about doubting what everybody else, that's an exaggeration, I am putting my hand up to my mouth to gesture for the common indication that this is something I'm saying as an aside, you can't see me do that, but I hope you trust that I am actually doing that. That everybody seems to think is real, and it might not be real. Yeah, it's it's a trip to know that your reality is that different from your neighbors because <laughs> of what we know. I mean, there are religious differences between people that people don't talk about. This is kind of a topic, you know, the topic of fakery and... and mass manipulation of people through advertising technology and psychological studies and military cordoning. There, There is this... You know where I'm going with that? Mm-hmm. What was that last question? I had a you, big plane just... I oh, yeah, I, I kind of heard it. Yeah, I get a lot of those. <laughs> Double well, helicopter, I'm guessing. Military. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, I'm gonna have to rewind and remember where I was going with that. Let's see. I had said something like, "It's hard." Oh, it's kind of a religious topic. These things. Yeah, there's a lot of faith, isn't there? There's yeah. Well, we have it too, you know. But it's kind of about the experience that a lot of people don't have of actually researching something that is reported in the news, probably because. Things are reported so overwhelmingly, just so many things so much all the time that it's not practical for people to look into it. So I think we've created some good tools, some forums and other sites 
to discuss these things without having to start from square one all the time. Like we've seen signs, consistent things that we can say, oh, this is, this looks fake. If you haven't noticed this before, if you haven't seen before that, you know, they cut out this airplane and where the background meets that airplane supposedly floating in the Hudson, you know, you can see that actually this is not a photograph, it's a collage and things like that. And we don't even know the source of the original plane, which could be, it could be computer animated. So there's that kind of thing. And that's what this show is about. Taking the stuff that the media is putting out there and trying to make it obvious to people. I guess is that what we do? Yeah, make it obvious. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Most people don't know that what the media is putting out there is a certain kind of thing. They just kind of take it for reality, download it. It just processes. At worst, you know, they assume the media could be lying or could be maybe spinning something towards the bad party that they're supposed to disagree with, you know, be it the Donald Trump party or the Hillary Clinton party. These things are just to spin us one way or another. That's what they think, maybe. But they don't suspect that the thing might be a psychological study of a group that couldn't really care less who you vote for, because they will always be the same military advisors in their position. That's what it seems like. You know, that's that's what we can assume based on what we've seen with a few presidents coming and going since we've been looking into this. Mm. With like three, two presidents worth. Right, right, and it depends what we mean by this. I guess if you go back as far as the fake 1993 World Trade Center bombing, that was Clinton. Then we had the second Bush, and finally the. Double Obama. <laughs> Double Obama. We got Barry twice. Barry squared. Ah. Uh, so, yeah. And now it seems we're going to have... Well, I don't know. We're not taking bets. But what do you think? What who, Do you think Do you think the media is biased against Trump? Or do you think that that's kind of the way that he's designed to be presented? Yeah, I think it's the design. He's the... It, really feels like he was made to look ridiculous so that thinking people would have no choice but to vote for Hillary. Mm, that seems right. If you if you talk to people who are adamantly saying you must vote, you know, you must vote, don't let Trump in, it seems kind of like to get us all invested in the voting thing again. I voted. Do you know that? I voted. Well, I, good. Wow. I don't know. I mean, is, is it good? Did you vote? Um, I am going to vote for legislation because right. it's the only way I have any control in my society. But I'm not going to vote for people because they lie and they use, you know, and I don't want anyone to represent me. Can I just represent myself? Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. If you can, mm. it's best to do that if you can. I voted for the president. I really did. Oh, you did? Good job. Well, do it. I don't know, you know, I just, I thought, I don't like either of them, they're monsters. So it wasn't really that I wanted someone to represent me, but I had this other political statement, which is similar to the kind of futile, we'll vote for the lesser evil kind of thing, which is, that's not a vote, really, that's not a real thing, that just means we don't have a choice, right? But I did it anyway, for another political gesture, because I've just been, I've been sick of people saying, well, you have to do this or that other thing, and I thought... 
this is close to what I think should be the baseline. And I thought it was Jill Stein. And yeah, Jill Stein talks about, okay, we've got to reinvestigate 9-11. And that's a joke. That'll never happen. That's just a political thing that candidates say in order to, you know. Joe Stein? Yeah. He's a third-party candidate? She. She. Joelle? Uh, Jill. Jill Stein. Yeah. She's the Green Party presidential candidate. She's probably Jewish. Yeah, you know, probably. And she was running with a Native American person for a while who was a very interesting lady who would, like, we were just talking about squatting earlier, how different people consider living in a community, like whether they're participating or not. Anyway, squatters came up, and, yeah, and she, she was known for, I don't know, like graffiti and silly things that you wouldn't, you know, the average American would be like, well, I never, you know, that can't have a vandal for vice president. Um, but now she's switched over to, I think, a Muslim guy. Um, so you've got the... The Jewish Muslim ticket, which is... Yeah, his name is Baraka. Right. Which, doesn't it's that just mean kind of like good something? Like, it's kind of like a, a general... It's a good name for like a cafe or like a... Or for like a president. Yeah, Baraka. Baraka Hussein. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't sound like our old president, but it's it's a common... Yeah, Barak, what does that mean? I don't even know. I think yeah, she sounds very interesting. Well, see, so my point is, she's another actress, just like they all are. Do you, you know? think? But think they all are. Yes, I do. I think that that's kind of par for the course. If you're running for this kind of thing, yeah, Green Party. That's that's a actually a, a pretty important position. If yes. you're back on her. Yeah. So I said, well, I don't, I don't want to vote for the the corporatist pro-war agenda in left or right flavors, if you will. You know, the whether it's a criminal defense lawyer for rapists like Hillary Clinton or um, or a rapist himself like Trump or who knows, you know. I, I just thought, well, this person seems like they're kind of taking the position seriously or at least they, they want to present it that. It, they're presenting it like this is not a game. So I thought, okay... If we're talking about just electing somebody that has some fort, no, what's the word? Integrity. Who's presenting integrity instead of just, it seems, reading lines like Hillary and Trump are. I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. I thought, why not? I mean, okay, they're not going to win. And ultimately, yeah, like you say, we should just represent ourselves. But kind of an interesting, interesting person that I think deserves attention. For, for those who are paying attention to political things. So, yeah, there it is. I, I voted for Jill Stein and Baraka. Well, good. I like that idea. I'm just, I guess I'm jaded. Dang it. I'm already jaded. <laughs> well, here's the thing that I, I was also realizing. In our community of researchers, there's this kind of thing that happens where people are like somebody somebody ought to do something about something you know or but things can't possibly change and that that kind of cycle is getting irritating to me it's it's sounding like well we're gonna wait for some perfect solution it it sounds really really close to the people who are waiting for the perfect 
president to drop in their lap and say, here, this is it. This is, you know, here's the next leader that will solve everything. I don't have any illusions that that's going to happen. But I think that voting is kind of like promoting certain dialogues almost or certain personalities. And I'm, and I think we need more intellect and less sleaziness, which is in the Democratic and Republican parties. Oh, they're so sleazy. Did you watch any of the debates? No, I, I didn't because I thought I don't think that they, first of all, they're scripted. And second of all, I don't think that they would have anything to say to justify the short amount of time they have to answer any question and the farce of not having a real debate. Um, no, I mean, there's so many reasons. Just it's it seems like it seemed like a big waste of my time. Right. It was uh, good for research. You know, that's about it. But it was so disappointing. They kept using this language, which I thought was fascinating. Hillary, it, one of them was one of the questions from the moderator, which wasn't he was clearly biased for Hillary, which it's so easy to see the bias towards Hillary and against Trump for the entire media that it, they can't all be that way except Fox. Fox is the so it's it clearly has to be a campaign. There's no way you could get agreement like, you know, 95 percent of public television or anything on TV is for Hillary. How's that? How's that represent reality, first of all? But anyway, off track. No, so, well, finish that thought. I'm I'm so it seems like they're framing Trump as the rebel. And that includes, you know, a kind of. Well, the media has to downplay him and make him seem like this unachievable magic man who will come in and change everything. Even though when you actually listen to him, he's giving the party line that the Democrats are saying, like, oh, we must not forget 9-11. And, you know, we're, we've, you know, we've got to stop the evil foreigners and corporations and such are great and wonderful and they don't need to be checked. They don't need to, you know, it seems like it's all the same rhetoric. But there's this belief that Hillary is somehow a mad liberal. I don't know what, because she supports a kind of a socialist health care program or what? I don't I don't quite follow. It's, you know, what I'm coming to understand is Hillary means different things to different. They're so clever. For, they're so clever with this election. Hillary means different things to different people. And so does Trump. I, it's a you con know, it's a continuation of um, exactly what was in last episode that we talked about. Um, Ronald Reagan was a guy that you could just project whatever you wanted onto him, and that's exactly what he represented. It, it's just like that. That is like that's the new standard now. Is you just oh they look like somebody you know they don't say anything really solid or concrete. There's just kind of like sniping about personality. Right. Well, even in like, I was just looking at Wikipedia. They show Trump with this. When I was looking up um, the Green Party candidate, Jill Stein, they show under her. Um, when you do a Google search under her little on the see, right hand side, they go Jill Stein because that's what I looked for. But under that, it says more presidential candidates and Donald Trump has a scowl and Hillary Clinton is smiling. I mean, you see the characters they're developing. It's 
just like it's part of a, I'm going to use Lennon Honors phrase for it. It's the Global Motion Picture Stage Show. Mm, yeah, I think David Eck actually <laughs> says something pretty close to that. Like, uh, TV is life the movie. And you can either pay attention to real life or you can watch the movie about it, which is some bizarre abstraction, this surreal and very specific, unreal uh, art comment about life. And people mistake that for life. Exactly. And that's such a, such a clever campaign. Like people have no idea. You know, you look around. They're going through the habits. They're going through their emotions. You know, that's that's what it is now. That's what it has been. Even the even the um, Al Gore versus Bush way back when it was it was personality versus personality. You know, it was like the the funny party monkey versus the sort of stiff robot, and that was that's always how it's been now since. Intellect has been well. It, again, gosh, that Neil guy just—he really nailed it. It's like it's about the image. It's not really about having a a true debate. Right? Yeah. There's there's no possible time for a true debate. I, I'm glad they don't make time. Yeah. They don't want. <laughs> they don't want. They a don't true want debate. to make the time for that because then they would reveal that the candidates that are preferred are are uh, morons and completely incompetent for the position. Well, and that's why, right, oh, finish your thoughts. Well, no, I was just going to say, except for as slaves to the military oligarchy. I, and I keep going back to military, man. Who who else has the ability to do the logistics for these giant campaigns? Right, and then, to me, it is that. It's definitely, you know, that. I mean, the apparatus. And some people say if you go deeper than that, you find that the common religion is something related to Judaism or something related to Jesuitism. And to me, I find that an important point as well. But people first need to understand that there is this military corporation kind of thing that regardless of the weird mystical beliefs and behaviors of the of the cult that is running it, um, it is a system which anyone could run. That is, any kind of religion probably could step into that role. But there's a particular kind of crypto-Jewish Masonic thing, which is probably, you know, Satanism or, or some other bizarre thing that is kind of dressed up in moralistic typical religious accouchement. <laughs> Could that be the vehicle? I mean, don't, I always think like economy. I think all these giant organizations, they have to use economy. Why wouldn't they already use an existing network and just take it over? Yeah, I think that when we see things like Brexit happening and then the media complaining that Brexit happened, that is... Um, a kind of we are watching these weird power games it's kind of like different groups old power and new power uh, just presenting the new propaganda story you know this is the new propaganda story that everyone should be following no this is the new propaganda story the club of rome has some the circle pinay has some there's different groups probably i feel and yes there is ultimately at the top a kind of 
yeah, a commonality that even while there is squabbling, it doesn't really matter who is running it because it's still that same system. So for me, yes, it is important to talk about the Jewish, uh, the Jewish gang, and it's important to talk about court Jews under under hire of the the Jesuit secret agencies, and and it's important to talk about the pagan Gnostic kind of roots of some of these things that have become mainstream popular religions. It's important to talk about those. But I still have the sense that if we redesigned the system, we would not let those groups actually have the power that they are wielding because despite their psychopathy, they would not they just wouldn't have the tool. It's like you take a to, you take a, a bad tool away from someone misusing it, you know? Or you take a you take a powerful tool away from a child that's, you know, waving it around and doing as they please without caring for what it actually does to other people. So, yeah, you can try to change people's minds. You can try to say, oh, no, you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't have this kind of weird mystical belief. But that, I mean, that is kind of a personal vendetta thing. That's a personal converting everybody to the same religion thing. I don't know if I'm on board with that. But but there is, you know, supposedly this idea of the public and there's lots of different ways of looking. It's just people, right? To me, it's people. And if you design the tools, then you can make them, you can drive away the psychopaths from using those tools. And that's why I voted. I thought this is not what it purports to be. It's not me electing a president to serve as the commander in chief of the United States. It's, it's continuing the discussion about what should this system be. We need to keep that discussion going because the gap between the people and these fanatics of whatever religion running the military is growing. It's just growing worse and worse, bigger and bigger. And we need to preserve the dialogue and the communication that we have to prevent it from just being all out war between the, the elites and the people. Mm. I see where you're going. So it's it's a something we can do now. Something we can do now is insist on the discussion of important ideas. While the media is saying, oh no, you don't have to discuss it, just trust this or that personality that we just have, this actor or that actress or whatever. It's like, no, that is your framing sarcastically i might add what we should be talking about but the people have the right to frame it or reframe it or repeat it back and say actually here's the discussion we should be having oh that is you don't know how much that's needed if you had watched the debate i i by your answer what you're telling me now i would assume you'd watch the debate right because i'm so used to being disappointed by this i could probably predict exactly in what way I would be continually disappointed by it. <laughs> so it may seem like I probably watched it, but n- no, I'm just, I'm familiar with my continuing disappointment in 
the dialogue and what 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 the media says is the dialogue right or lack thereof <laughs> yeah it was pretty pathetic this is not acceptable in talking with humans that we discuss things we talk to each other this way so hillary would look at trump and go you think that this and this and you think that women are not to be respected and you think and so she kept telling him what he thought and he didn't like disagree with her i would have said how the hell do you know what i think that's not what thinking people do. You talk about someone's actions. That's that's what you can do. You, I don't know what he's thinking. It's a non-starter in the first place. And then he did the exact same thing. Well, Hillary Clinton, she thinks that corporations are more important. She well, He didn't say that, but she thinks this and she thinks that and she thinks this. Well, a couple times he threw in the you know the the well-known publicized email issues. They they didn't they didn't bring out anything new. It was a, just a revomiting of all the old media we'd heard before. Yeah, it sounds depressing as fuck. It was horrific. I was so confused. Oh my god, what's that noise? Oh no! Yeah, but the crickets <laughs> are back, aren't they? Can you hear them? They're very low. Okay, I'm gonna go do something about it. Hold on. Oh, that helped. Just try to startle them. <laughs> For a minute, maybe you can just do a couple claps now and then, like like I do when my kitties are fighting. Yeah, actually, that's not a bad idea. I'll try that, then I don't have to get up. <laughs> maybe your lights will go off at the same time. <laughs> no, I haven't set that up. But yeah, it's funny. But yeah, you know, I was going to vote for um, Bernie. I was thinking of that. If I was going to vote, I might vote for Bernie. Well, he is kind of the most like seriously communist candidate, and that's very interesting because that is another way of bringing the dialogue back to okay. Let's just like let's acknowledge as Bernie is apparently the only candidate to do this, that it is, we do live in an unfair system. That is all about regulation. And if we're going to regulate something, why should we continue to regulate something so that the extremely powerful people continue to amass more and more and more power of a greater and greater and greater number of people and call that a reasonable and natural thing for us to do. He says, well, actually what we should do is attempt fairness, even though it will never be accomplished, regulate it towards fairness. And that's interesting. I just have this strange sense that his job was to get people who want to discuss certain things into the Democratic Party, and then they're forced to vote for Clinton. And now he's done his job, and he's like, all right, yeah, I even endorse Clinton. How could he, if he really believed anything that he was talking about, how could he possibly endorse a, the this criminal woman? It doesn't make sense to me, unless he's joking, unless he's just fulfilling a role. But at the same time, yeah, you could, you could maybe find something about Jill Stein that indicates something similar about her, and then it does just again become about, okay, we're voting for a dialogue. We're voting for 
a certain kind of intellectual level here instead of this is great you know this is mm-hmm. good america is wonderful you know this kind of stupidity right. we're going to make... get good again <laughs> yeah when was we good before <laughs> right but you know my daughter was involved with the democratic caucus down at the you know the first levels mm-hmm. in her um in her city in her county and she said from the get go she was there for bernie and it was they just everything was made so that bernie would lose and hillary would win they they continually did things like caucus leaders were absent for bernie but there for hillary Caucus extras were there for Hillary, but not for Bernie. Again and again and again. She went three t- to three caucuses, and it was the same each time. Who was credited as saying, was it Lenin? Who was credited as saying the best way to, to uh, you know, stop the opposition is to lead the opposition. So if you fill your people in the leadership roles of a, of a candidate you want to sabotage, That'd be be a pretty efficient way of taking them out. Right. And my daughter hadn't got involved before. Bernie was her first. And she just loved this guy so much. She's like, I'm going to get involved because of him. I really believe in what he's saying. He's the only candidate she felt that made any sense. There it is. That's why people get involved. You just said it. I believe what this person is saying. And it doesn't necessarily mean you believe they believe it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you think they even know what they're talking about when they say it. But if they say something that makes sense to you, something that you might say in that position, that's why people vote for these people. And that's why I say they're all actors, because basically they're reading lines that take on a particular position of a dialogue. And you're almost hoping, which never happens, unfortunately, that once they get into office, that's exactly the kind of thing that they're going to say to their advisors and to the people that they're suddenly surrounded by. But ultimately, I think what happens is, let's say you do get a Bernie Sanders or a Jill Stein or a Gary Johnson, the libertarian guy, in there, what happened immediately is, oh, the public isn't monitoring them anymore. Now they're surrounded by all these looming fucking creepy assholes saying, you better do what we want you to do or it's curtains. And that's the end of it. You know, the campaign is like, which one of you guys is going to be the slave? And then once they actually are in that position, it's their hands are tied. I think it's my guess. Do you think they could get any airtime if they weren't bought and paid for? I wonder if someone couldn't run a a new party called the Transparency Party, and their entire the entire campaign would be, I am going to show you everything that I can possibly show you under reasonable circumstances without um, um, sacrificing national security about what people come to me with. You know, and my response, it could be anybody, any Trump could do it. Hillary Clinton could do it. Anyone running under that party and under those principles would be a different candidate. It'd be the candidate that goes and says, here's what actually happens after you get elected. I think there's some creepy stuff going on, though. 
with oh, politics. Oh, there absolutely is. Well, my brother, when he got um, elected to city council, we're in a small town, 30 minutes outside of Seattle. The two biggest towns next to us are Tacoma and Seattle. Tacoma is about, what, a quarter the size of Seattle, but it's a pretty big city. So the Tacoma News Tribune called my brother and said, yeah, we'd like to interview you. When, this is when he was running. He hadn't even gotten elected yet. Let me back up. Hold on a second. And right there. I'm going to try the clapping thing. Hold on. <laughs> that worked. For just a bit. It'll work. It's good. That worked for like... something oh that's good throw stuff at it too is he hurting a little cricket don't let him hurt a cricket Kay. yeah don't hurt the cricket oh, <laughs> i have to get up it has to hear me coming over and then it stops Hold he's on. looking for a date you know <laughs> that's really cute you should leave that in the audio this is fun stuff the war against the cricket we've got your number See, there's a rogue cricket in the house. He's hired a man called the Exterminator. Problem is, he kills everyone in the house, not just the cricket. So it's a gamble. You gotta be gone when he shows up. I'll keep these. Sh I'll keep these shoes handy. <laughs> you got. You're armed. Are yeah, you? I got some. Sh I'm armed with my shoes now. I want to make a clear passageway so I can throw the shoe right at the door. There we go. All right. Anyway, how are we going to get this political conversation? Do you want to segue it to 7-7 seven, seven somehow? Yeah. Media fakery, they're, Ill, they're all in on it, just like 7-7. Seven, seven. <laughs> oh, do we have an excuse to even talk about this political stuff with people? Is it interesting? Yeah, I mean it's it's what's happening now. It's it's relevant and we're confused. I'm sure other people are confused trying to wrap their head around like what you said. People will say it. You believe what they say. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. It's like your daughter said, the words that that person is reading from the teleprompter sounds like the words that would genuinely come from someone if they really cared about it from the perspective of the person who is like, yes, I like those words. Right. Then, you know, there's the opposite going on, too. I just thought I'd let you know. My son and a bunch of his friends, and they're trying to, they're part of a smaller movement who feel like the media has already decided Hillary's going to win, so they're voting for Trump just to see what happens. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are doing. I think Trump's game is... He doesn't have intellect. He doesn't really have, like, a lot of smarts. He just kind of does what he's told. And they they basically said to him something like this. Okay, Trump, don't bother opening your mouth. As much as you can help it, just say vague things about greatness and America. And everyone who has an opinion that hasn't been heard before in the media will assume that you are holding that opinion because you're not saying it. 
And because Hillary represents everything that we've already heard before from all the candidates, she will represent the to these people who are like reading into you that, you know, kind of like looking into the crystal ball. Trump is the crystal ball. They will think, oh, Hillary is the same old, same old. But Trump is something new because he's not saying that stuff. So they can you can it's just like the the audio equivalent of the image, just like you can look at Donald Trump and picture him pretty much representing anything you want. He doesn't say anything too intellectual about anything. And that allows you to just go, oh, yeah, he probably secretly harbors my beliefs, even when he obviously comes out and says something like really awfully sexist, for example. And the people who had previously been thinking, you know, had been projecting on him and going, oh, Trump thinks what I think are suddenly shocked and going, oh, wait a minute. He actually has this thing that kind of goes against Ooh, you know, it kind of tarnishes that a little bit but you know he's still in that area where he hasn't ventured too far into many opinions so for most people right yeah that was interesting so you're saying it's a strategy that he doesn't have opinions exactly exactly because then if he actually opens his mouth he sounds like a fucking moron so they said trump here's your job just try not to opine on anything just show up explain how you're going to change everything without actually, you know, going into details about what that entails. Mock everybody for sounding the same. Oh, my God. But don't say anything yourself. That was their strategy. (laughs) Don't say anything yourself because then everybody's imaginations will just fill in, like, what is this great creative thing? It's almost like playing to everybody's ego. So... They think, oh, he's not saying this, and he's looking derisively at, you know, the opponents. And that derisiveness is exactly what I have, because I've got this great opinion. Trump probably holds my opinion. That's that's like the, that's the strategy. So he's going to get elected, maybe, and he does absolutely nothing different. But it's this, it's the image, it's the product, it's the, you know, I'm the snarky guy who is gonna step up and throw snark at the common, you know, mainstream and everything's, you know, everything's topsy-turvy now. It's a revolution now. <laughs> What's revolutionary about saying, yeah, we've gotta go after those terrorists and, you know, we've gotta protect corporations and Obamacare sucks and, I mean, all these things are very old messages, but he doesn't have to say much more than that, and everyone will use their imagination to fill in the rest. They think he's a rebel. It's sad. It's funny. But it's also kind of, yeah, more of the same for me. From my perspective, it's that's the dialogue that I don't want to see because that's the dialogue of I refuse to talk. I refuse to say anything that would, you know, rub like rock the boat or whatever. I much more respect someone like Bernie who's willing to say something so unpopular that, you know, something like, yeah, we should just like tax all the corporations. Like, whoa. Now that is actually a rebellious statement. Right? Who said that? Oh, well, uh Bernie was talking about how essentially there has to be a way for corporations to just 
not have as much money and give back to everybody and such. He he holds communist principles. He's he's a he's like let's not have this laissez-faire capitalism stuff. But right. at the same time, yeah, he's like just a leftist democrat, I guess, which means it is you know more corporatism in a way. America is a one big corporation. Anyway. Well, why don't we look at the electoral college and then I can tell you who's going to win. <laughs> because they're the ones it popular vote doesn't matter anyway. They mess with it. It's electoral college. And last yeah, time I looked true. Hillary was pretty much going to win no matter. She was going to win a year ago. Let's see what's going on. I think if you listen to some Trump people, they're right in one respect and that is it seems the system favors Hillary because, not because Trump is all that rebellious or um, even Bernie would be all that rebellious. It's just that Bernie and Trump are pushing against the typical Clinton-Bush dynasty. And so the system is like, what's most? What's the most stable? But what can we predict? And to them, like Hillary Bush... You know, Clinton, Clinton Bush family is the most stable. Things don't change, that kind of thing. I think. Well, the Electoral College says Clinton's winning 323 to Trump 215. She's gonna win. It was already, it was already decided. Yeah, that's true. Although, if you, <laughs> I mean, it, it does remind me sometimes of people thinking that Trump even had a chance, you know, and saying, well. If Trump wins, then it's this great revolution. But if he doesn't win, it was rigged against him. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're already in that mentality. Oh, right. And it, I think, you know, like you were saying, it's kind of always been this way in politics, but we're seeing it more now. And I think that's part of it. We're seeing now both sides of it. They're getting ready, right, all the psychology for all those Trump supporters to help them out when it's over. You know, it was rigged, and he talks about it constantly. Voting's rigged, but dude, you're running for president. Right, yeah. The, what election has not had voter fraud ever? Especially in the States. I'm sorry, but like, that's, it's silly and naive to say, well, the voting is, is rigged. Of course it is. Why don't you, why don't you actually go into the details of that? Why don't you go into the details of your particular rise to power? But he's not interested in that. He just wants to get in that position for probably just for ego. Right. It felt to me, you know, he took this job for ego. He gets to be on TV a whole bunch more, you know, his, all that power. I ran for president. I didn't win because they didn't like what I had to, you know, who knows how he's going to spend this. After he loses, that will be interesting to watch, I think. Yeah. Anyway, the main point for me is there needs to be either that transparency party thing or or we just say, okay, we need to, like, reduce the power of the executive. We need to have that um, that convention of states project, and which I don't know if you've seen that. That's run by the guy who started the teabaggers movement. Mm. which then was collapsing on itself, possibly deliberately. Mm, I don't know. You know, it, it seems to be people who are like, this is the only way to take back power from the Fed is to have the convention of states, reduce the federal power. Then it doesn't matter if you elect Clinton or you elect Trump or whatever. 
what you have is states' rights asserting themselves again. And right now, it's like Scalia and, you know, the South. It's like trying to do their, the South rises again kind of strangeness. Um, I but bad for them. They got ripped off, man, big time. South, well, I'm, I'm feeling for you. Right. That, that's a, a big identity that we have as Americans. And I think that corporatism doesn't want us to have an identity except a corporate one. That's why I don't think we'll ever get real people. I'm sorry, why am I being negative? Ah. We'll ever get real people. Well, I think that that's one. That's why a convention of states is kind of interesting. Kind of like watching the Democratic and Republican thing happen, watching the voting thing happen. I'm starting to think, you know, being an activist isn't all bad, but you just have to be more informed than the average activist. You know, it's not about getting a, a, a Clinton elected or getting a Trump elected. It's about watching everything going on and going, how can we move the dialogue? How can we keep it away from the media conglomerating more and more and more? Right. And, you know, you have to participate, too. You can't just sit behind your computer and type. You have to get up out of your house and go to where people are talking about it. Well, here's and what happens if you don't. I mean, the taxes go up. The mafias kind of that run the show continue to run the show and such. So these people who are researchers, but who then say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, what we do. It's like, okay, but then you're filing taxes this year, aren't you? So it does affect your life. So it's this thing where people want, you know, want us to do the research for them. But then it's almost like there's also this expectation that just because we've developed critical thinking about the media that we're also supposed to come up with this ultimate solution and it's like no take your ordinary life this isn't this isn't a an excuse for you to check out this isn't an excuse for you to bah humbug all of the human race that's not why i mean you can but obviously if that's your agenda that's just your agenda this is about in my opinion recognizing that there is this tool that we've been missing as people who have cared about trying to change things. Activists, yes, civil rights, you know, as tied up in uh, the will of the elite as you want to believe it is or not. Right. Act. You have to get involved. And, you know, lest anyone out there thinks there's no hope because the big machine is so giant, there is hope in your, you just go to your city. Really, our entire lives are spent in this the city where we live, wherever we live. We don't we don't live in D.C. We don't live in Washington. We don't live in, you know, in, in media land. We live in our city. Get get involved in your city, and you can oh my get involved in food banks in your city. These people who are actually participating in the betterment of their community that's that's where the power is. Yeah, that's I where agree. That's where we get it back. But we have to get involved in our city. And the issues, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, but I think the issues that the media gives us keeps us busy with issues that are so giant, we have no control or no way to change them. But if we get busy in the local level, I, I can go participate in the food bank. I can grow a community garden and donate my crops. I can know my gardeners. I can know my neighbors. Well, you know why they do that, don't you? Okay, why they present the big problems. Because what's the solution to a big problem? A big celebrity, right? Big money. 
big money, right? So it's big problem the, needs the reason, big money. Yeah, yeah, big problem needs a big solution. So that's why they present the big problems. The 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 actual problems, rather, ironically, you know, there are, yes, there are big problems, but the actual problems that affect us personally, and which we might, you know, through like a cascade effect, hopefully change the world by. Um, those things are local, just as you said. It's who do you know in your community? Are you going to sit with your arms crossed in your house and go, well, I'll just vote for somebody that will solve all the big problems, but I'm going to complain all day about the little things that I can't change? Or is it like a tool that you can now take to your community and say, hey, wait, you know, it's worth trying to communicate with each other. It's worth trying to, I'm not trying to say like, Everyone has to do that. You know, there are definitely reasons to be social or antisocial or whatever. But, you know, I just th that's the thing that I was saying that was getting irritating to me was this. Well, we can't do anything about it, but I'm not going to do the alternative either. And I'm just going to let myself get bullied and complain about it. It's so self-defeatist. It's so it's such a weird program people have kind of programmed themselves with. Right. But if you get out there. You see everything for what it is. Like for the Occupy Wall Street movement, I got out there and I participated. They were all homeless people. I went to two Occupy camps. They were all homeless. It was fake. <laughs> they weren't really real people. Well, they're real human beings. Well, they're real humans, but they're not real occupiers. They're not people who had enough and were fed up and left their jobs to protest. There were homeless people who got paid in pizza to go camp out somewhere else than their usual camp out outside. Oh, yes. That, I'm sure that was the case in some places. And I don't think that was the case everywhere, though. And just just like you said, you know, you can brand Occupy as one great big thing because that's the way the media played it. It was like Occupy is taking over such and such city. But they didn't say, you know, OK, Occupy Seattle versus Occupy San Francisco and the very different way those things were run or Occupy New York or Occupy Twin Cities, which I witnessed. They, they all probably had extremely different groups. Oh, and, yeah. No, and, you're right, because they attracted people. And they all had to be yeah. sabotaged in different ways if, you know, they were legit in the first place at all. Yes, I they saw, were sabotaged. Oh, I got a story. Go ahead. Yes. No, but in totally different ways because in the Twin Cities, it was like people who would, you know, interrupt a meeting, the process, all the time, and things like that. So, in my opinion, you know, Occupy was, in general, nice to see. It was an awakening of some kind that was obviously sabotaged and run into the ground immediately, just like Black Lives Matter has now been sabotaged and run into um, the political motivations of the hoaxers. But at, at first, you know, it does start as legitimate movements and these things get co-opted very quickly. But that is not a reason to constantly say, oh, well, it'll just be co-opted again. You know, no, we have to understand that, oh, this is how it was co-opted. Mm. This mm -hmm. is this is what happened instead of constantly like, oh, it's so much work. You know, yes, it is work. They make it work for you. And that is why it's hard. But that doesn't mean you're supposed to give up. That just means <laughs> these people who are pulling off the hoaxes, you're like, okay, go ahead. You know, you win. Just do what you want. Manipulate people the way you want. Is that what you want? You know, 
if if these lies are so big and actually affecting people like the one we're going to discuss today 77 you know if you're just going to let that exist as how people say it is then you're essentially saying okay well i've i've seen this thing destroy my community but nobody else knows so i'm not really going to care i'm not going to really talk about it that's just defeatist that's right, just, yeah. And that's exactly the attitude that is modeled to us by the people who sabotage these things. So getting back to the sabotage, there were the people who would show up at Occupy and they would say the only way that this will be a successful movement is this particular thing. And they would not budge on that one thing. They would not negotiate. They would not talk. They would not listen to other people's complaints. They were there to essentially push their own agenda into the ground you know, ruinously, whether it's a pyrrhic victory or not, they would just push it. And that is not like the community dialogue that was like bringing this thing together in the first place. It wasn't the group that had found Occupy and said, oh, this can actually help us raise awareness on this point. It became, it became a power struggle immediately. And when power struggles with this military group that is basically, you know, specialized in exactly co-opting power, taking power, keeping power. They could just send in a few of those people and and then it was over. There's a, I heard some stories like that too. It, It doesn't take much, you know, to get a group, you just, get the new leader in and don't challenge him and it takes the group the group off track the, the stuff i heard is one of the leaders he moved in this was the seattle occupy movement the tacoma one was always homeless but i don't know about i went to the seattle one i didn't see any homeless i didn't stay long enough but what i i had heard from a couple of the people at some of the protests is that they were getting um there was an internetwork like between these occupy guys and they were really getting involved and then all their database and all their information, everything, they went into the office one day and it was all gone. One of the the leaders had just taken everything and no one where, knew where he went or what he did with all the computers. Or And they're like, what do we do? Can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, it is kind of that's indicative of the communication issues and breaking down communication um, is the first step that's like the that is like the information level of the war against people organizing for themselves and it usually wins i think because well you could argue uh, you know endless numbers of things and we could all point fingers at what's to blame but but really there is a limit to human patience and people will just get impatient and say we we can't discuss this again you know we have to table this and talk about the next thing. And if there are enough people insisting or new people coming in, always needing more information, always needing to rehash everything, it it tries the patience of that group. And so having Occupy not have a focus and having um, and emphasizing the war over what Occupy was meant to be focused on was the perfect way to sabotage it. You just come in caring about something, 
you encourage those who really care about that one particular issue and say Occupy has to be about this particular issue, can't be about anything else. And instead of discussing, okay, what is the most pressing thing, um, it ends up being we have to constantly update everyone on everyone's agenda and it dissolves. It just dissolves. Anyway, I'm not saying I know the solution. I'm not saying it's it's pointless um, to do anything. You know, maybe maybe there's a point to voting for Hillary or Trump that you know we couldn't see on our level, and there is some kind of truth to it in the media because oh, because the media, even while it's crazy and biased and full of lies, pressures itself into a kind of corner in the sense that if there's a contradiction on a large enough level, people will say, well, but Clinton said this about the FBI or Trump said this about the wall and to Mexico or whatever. And my point is, yes, okay, fine, vote for whomever you want. But just, I think, keep paying attention. Just keep paying attention and allow people to discuss the things that are meaningful to them instead of constantly upping, you know, saying, no, my agenda is the most important because that's not how a community works. And obviously, by making everybody think that their agenda is the single most important thing that will solve everything, uh, yeah, that's that hasn't gotten us very far. So our goal should be, right, those big problems. We're knocking those down, baby. Those big, giant federal problems. You don't have to worry about them. We got, you know, the hoaxes and stuff. Because just go to your community. If you need, if you want to help people, it's right there. Just your community, you got everything you need. They'll help you, you help them. We don't need the big giant saviors to come and help us. Yeah, I think that's a good way of summing up, summing up one point that we've, that we've discovered in this discussion. There's so much, it's so complex and there's so much to it and we don't have, we don't have maybe even a single answer, let alone all the answers, but I think that's a good place to leave it because 7-7-2005, which was that supposed London bombing, is a good example of kind of the new media's way of ignoring all local issues. It's almost It almost seems like a top-down order from that military group that's in charge, whatever it is, in saying, you know what, don't give voice to any of that little local shit. We can't deal with that little local shit anymore. We have to be doing the top-down, big government thing now. That's that's sort of what seems to be driving all the media hoaxes. Right. Hunger. Right. Joblessness. None of that doesn't matter. Terrorism. We got to stop the terrorists. We got to institute a program from the top down. We need all these new agencies now. Yeah. The security thing, the security thing keeps coming up. I'd say 7-7 to me, the the story that, you know, if you think about what was the effect of it, it's kind of like, no matter who you elect, elect somebody that's going to increase security, uh, increase involvement in other countries' affairs, 
Oh, yeah. In order to basically prevent them from creating a disruptive terrorist type person that can overthrow the entire world. A complete ridiculous fantasy invented by the military. James Bond movies like to, you know. Yeah, it's like a Tom Clancy thing. This guy's gonna, this guy with this nasty scar across his face is gonna, you know, (laughs) blow up a stadium. Successfully blow up a stadium full of people. For no reason, I guess. He's just evil. They do that, you know. Just to destabilize things, because even though that would just create an even greater incentive for the ridiculous security apparatus, insecurity apparatus. But now we're talking so much about what 7-7 may have meant, and uh, maybe we should look at why 7-7 looks like another hoax, like uh, 9-11. Yeah, that's good. Start, Start at the basics first. That's a good place.
oh, by the way, um, just if you want to check uh, who's going to win for president because the Electoral College is the one who decides, not your vote. Sorry. Your vote does other things, but not president. You go to www.electoral-vote.com. And it has a tally of all the colleges and all the states and what they're doing. Just so I throw that out there so before we forget. That is interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about electoralvote.com? Now, that is probably an independent service or corporation that's kind of monitoring the electoral colleges. Correct. And they, yeah. So, um, all the electoral, co- so each state has its own electoral college. And what I've researched is that each state hires them differently. Like some vote on the electoral college, others are uh, the governor chooses them or some other body chooses them or some other body votes for them. It's all kind of different, but they have one rule in common. They can only vote Democrat or Republican. So no independent candidate can ever become president. There you go. There you go. Until something changes. Yeah, and so and people don't know that. It's just so weird. It's right here in black and white, Electoral College. But if people, people like, but if people know that, then maybe we can slowly change it. You know, like instant runoff voting, things like that. Little steps. Yeah, people get mad and they do change stuff. Yeah, you're right. They little, they little that's why they manage us, right? We we are volatile. Otherwise, we would not be so highly managed. <laughs> so you're right. We got a lot of power. If we just knew that, wow. If we all spoke up, holy crap, imagine. If we all just, oh, wow, that'd be so amazing. And I when, you know, when people finally get their voice, but they have to learn to get it first because yeah, we're in a nanny state, really. I think excitement about a candidate is kind of one of the steps. You know, and if you don't totally fucking burn out and say fuck everything after losing, you know, with after losing support of your favorite candidate or even your favorite candidate getting in and then disappointing you, you know, if that doesn't destroy your hope, then I think then you're on the right path to sort of discovering that, oh, there's more to this than just making the system work exactly as they say it's supposed to work. And there's more to it than underhanded deals and just giving up that way and saying the only way to do it is, you know, bribery and making lots of money and just forcing your opinion. You know, that seems to be like this dichotomy that that's forced on us. But there's this other way. Mm-hmm. And that is, yeah, talking with our community, building community, actually acknowledging the fact that we are human beings living as social creatures in a, in a social environment. And yeah, of course you could, you could look at that very cynically and say, well, I don't, I I can do whatever I want. And yes, you can. Absolutely. Go for it. (laughs) That's fine. Just don't hurt anyone while you're doing it. You can at least be a neutral. There you go. So back to seven, seven, that it's uh, talking about freeing up your brain. Yes. Just like, Right. Our talk with politics is really so you can free your brain and make your own choices. Same with seven, seven. I would love to talk about Obama maybe in like 20 years and we can look back and go, whoa, what the what the what happened? You know, but (laughs) but first, let's talk about another horrible leader. Uh, When John Howard got to be prime minister in Australia and. This was a character that 
um, our Australian fans like Rolo would just love to probably, I don't know, he's not, Rolo's not a violent person, but, you know, basically just tell John Howard to go to hell because he's, his job was to kind of destroy the, the beauty of the, of the ability of the Australian, average Australian person to just kind of live in an awesome country. Right. So John Howard apparently was there to hook everything back up to the, the military, the most conservative, probably like royalty that's still running Australia, New Zealand, Canada, what have you, America probably too, on some level. And wow, they waited for a good time. You know, Australia had it's a car industry going now. It's, they don't have to import as much. They're really doing, they were doing awesome industry wise. I can, I can see how the mother wants them back. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, they had to, they had to take out Qantas airlines and right? to- Toyota had to pull out, you know, just it's, it seems kind of like, Oh, we're talking about corporations and economies and boring things, but these things kind of do have an effect. And it's interesting how, you know, our dismissiveness about those subjects can sometimes make us go, wait a minute, now, this particular leader did this particular horrible thing. Well, apparently, this is just an introduction from Clues Forum. If you go to Clues Forum and you click on the age of media fakery, then London, Madrid, Oslo, and other faked terror events, the PSYOPs are everywhere being the subtitle, there is a pinned topic that is closed, which just has a few posts, which is an introduction to um, the 7-7 so-called bombing, which, if people are unfamiliar with because it's kind of obscure now, was uh, supposedly Al-Qaeda and terrorists blowing up a couple trains and uh, a bus and a bunch of people dying, right? Not as bad as 9-11, apparently, you know, where 3,000 victims were produced, but but a, a decent amount, you know, several dozen. And it caused the, the usual security things to pop up and say, well, we need more, you know, Big Brother now. And John Howard said, 52 died in London yesterday. Now, the strange thing is, this was before they had actually gotten to account. So it was almost like, this John Howard who had come in and kind of brought a new authoritarianism to Australia was representing that new authority rather sloppily by giving us this exact number, 52 died. So never mind, you know, five plus two is seven, giving us another seven <laughs> or anything like that. But one of our members who called himself Timothy Murphy wrote to John Howard and said, excuse me, but how exactly did you know that there were 52 victims before, you know, the media had actually even sorted anything out? They were saying, like, maybe there's 30. We don't know. There could be, you know, missing people, all sorts of things. How did you come up with this final 52 figure? And he gets this comical letter back, and we have a photograph of it. it says, 31st August, 2010. Mr. Timothy Murphy. I have your letter of 5th August regarding the 2005 London bombings. I am sorry that I cannot precisely source that advice. Yours sincerely, John Howard. And so it's this 
Well, I mean, it's not quite a form letter, is it? I mean, I'm sorry that I cannot precisely source that advice as a weird phrasing to it. It's almost like saying, first of all, he was advised that there would be 52 dead. Or right, some, so he's so, not in trouble for saying it. Right, someone, right? someone told him. Yeah. Right? It, so that's the implication there. And then I cannot precisely source that. It could mean, like, I'm not at liberty to, to, to discuss it, or... I just don't remember, and I don't really care enough to tell you. It's just the oh, most... Right? How about unpre... Just say it then. You don't have to be precise. How about ballpark it? Right. Or can you vaguely... Agency. Can you vaguely right. remember which alphabet agency told you, you know... Can you remember which news station you, you heard the speculation from? It's the perfect political non-answer. I'm sorry that I cannot precisely source that advice. I'm going to use that at work if I get in trouble for something next time. So what, what, get, what, yeah. what did you think that you could eat this person's pizza that was in the fridge? Well, I'm sorry, but I cannot precisely source that advice. <laughs> right. Did you hit my car? Was that you? Didn't you run into my car? I cannot precisely source that advice, Kay. It works everything. It works for everything. What? What? And then you just walk away. What? Yeah, I mean, the... The point is that it kind of like, I mean, well, yeah, it kind of doesn't work. It's kind of like, it doesn't make any sense. It's gobbledygook. It's like... Why is he sorry, right? He... It's to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. It's just nonsense. So they Simon summarizes it this way. He says, well, what, what's this all about? Well, John Howard had beaten the BBC to the 52 figure by three days. Oh, In fact... The BBC announced the final confirmed death toll of 52 only on July 11th, 2005. John Howard's statement of the 52 figure was published on the 7-7 hour-by-hour timelines of Der Spiegel and La Repubblica. Both timelines of these two major European newspapers reported, respectively, at 5.33 a.m. and 8.09 a.m. of July 8th. John Howard's announcement that 52 persons, including seven Australians, had perished. So it's almost like he got, he had the script, you know, just as all of the people in this operation probably had, including these slavish so-called leaders who are elected to <laughs> just push the agenda of the military advisors. And the fact is that there was no plausible way that he could have known the final death toll at that time, but he just whipped it out. Yeah, could he have guessed? He guessed. He guessed approximately... Exactly 52, including seven Australians. Could it have? Oh, and he said even seven Australians? Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Did the BBC, did they disclose where they got their numbers from? Well, the funny thing is, before we even get to that, it turns out that there was really only one Australian 7 cent victim reported. And he allegedly died in hospital a week later. And his name was Sam Lie. <laughs> Sam Lie. Like, that's some lie, man. That's some lie. You, right. Wow. Good political cover there. That is some lie. Well, then I have a question. Did John Howard release that information on purpose or what? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that the BBC reported the collapse of World Trade Center 7 20 minutes early on purpose? It becomes this question no. of... I think it was an accident. Yeah, I mean, 
Okay, I think that was an accident too, and that's an unfair question because we should take everything case by case. Okay, my answer is But no. I've looked into it, I think so it that's why accident. I answer. Exactly. I think this was an accident. I believe that he was just being clumsy. He had you think maybe he that's the day he got the letter, but he didn't look at when he was supposed to say it. He didn't read the whole damn thing, or his secretary didn't, or who's ever in charge of him what to say. Or maybe, kind of, or maybe MI6 or whatever didn't even write on the letter. Like, this is when you're supposed to say it, you know? Maybe he's just bad. At, this is this is why I, I think that these conspiracies are very human. Because it's kind of like, yeah, okay, what would you do if you got a wink and a nod and a nudge or whatever? You'd kind of have to try to figure out when you're supposed to do it without being able to precisely source that advice. <laughs> and it's, it's, well done. He's probably, he's probably thinking... Shit, you know, I can't precisely source that advice. But you know, it's a script error, right? That's what it was. The the BBC with the Building Seven falling early. It's a right. script error. They were ahead. They 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 didn't time it out right. That's isn't that what we're talking about here, right? Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I guess it's the same as when there's a there's a stage play and the one character jumps the gun and says their line before the character that was supposed to give them the prompt said their line and then they just have to ad lib something after that well it looks like everyone else just kind of put up their hands and backed away and they were like john howard this is on you and nobody challenged him on it except for maybe timothy murphy five years later <laughs> read a letter he's like what no it was confusing you know terrorism you know it so there was all sorts of confusion. So, yeah, people can predict the future in, in times of uncertainty. They can, you know, make impossible things happen in times of uncertainty. All right. Well, if this isn't the perfect case study for showing people that it's all a script, it's scripted, it's pre-scripted, not predicted. They don't predict shit that happens for real. They pre-script it, and then the script comes out with yeah. it. Exactly, and the actors read the lines. And and exactly, and this error perfectly cracks open exactly what they're doing, I think. I think so, too. I think there are some other signs that these people are having a laugh, as it were, at us. Um, yeah, you know, you got to put some enjoyment into your job there. You know, I think that's... <laughs> it's, it's like when animators... Yes, <laughs> it's like when animators put some little innuendo or something in their... Uh, in their really boring job of like drawing this character over and over and over. You think, is it how the cook spits in the soup? Right. Like, and now here's the funny yeah. thing about that. That's a good example because sometimes they get so into what they're doing, they're not even aware that they're spitting. You know what I'm saying? Like they're cleaning a dish, for example, and maybe this is different from spitting in the soup deliberately, but so let's just say someone's cleaning a dish and they just like, spit in the dish and continue cleaning it because in their mind they're thinking oh i saw that there's a spot in there i need to get it with my spit they're not thinking that's unhygienic they're just not thinking period and yeah i think that sometimes in order You're to talking about a lack of morality here sure Is that it? a lack of awareness even of what or they're of doing human how to treat humans yeah it's kind of a carelessness and this carelessness extends to being even careless about their own position as a liar and protecting it. I, I think that carelessness is kind of par for the course in these things. 
You can't. So John Howard was ca- getting careless. Sure, why not? In his position. Mm-hmm. I believe that, yeah. Another example in the next post of the introductory guide to 7-7 is on the bus, which was supposedly blown up by a bomb, and we'll go more into the pictures of that later, there is a ad on the bus, a movie ad supposedly, and part of the ad campaign for the movie says terror dot 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 brilliant the lady's face is scary it's all like dirty and she's in shadows and she's terrified and her eyes are rolled you can see the whites of her eyes yeah she kind of looks like she's been sitting in the wreckage of a bomb blast for days and just contemplating it yeah and the quote says save me (laughs) outright terror it says the word terror outright terror bold and brilliant four stars of course you know our entertainment is full of this kind of thing anyway but it is an interesting you know possibility that they might have been poking at each other there or even at people who would note it and say well you know it can be easily chalked up as anything but it is maybe us entertaining ourselves while we develop this ridiculous thing. But I also think it helps subliminally because, you know, the more ways you can put information into your brain, the better chance you have of retaining it. So you're talking about terror. Now you read the word terror and you're just going to go, yeah, this is terror. Yeah. Right. Maybe you don't even see those two words consciously. I think it's right. Yeah, it's the subliminal programming. Yeah, I think you're right. Plus, it also creates that disconnect between... Because it it seems like just as they did on 9-11 where they said, it's almost like a movie. They have to create... They have to remind you, you know, that this is not a movie. Mm -hmm. They have to to almost remind you. So they're saying, okay, so this billboard is an example of a terror movie. So because this is in the context of this terrorist event, it's obviously real. Wow, that's much more brilliant than what I said. <laughs> that's great. That's perfect. No, I don't. You're kind. But I think it's more like, because the think about it, if the media constantly only gives you the one context, and they only ever insist, you know, they act dumb. I mean, these anchors are dumb. They're like, and here is the context that we're putting this in, and... Obviously, here are the only questions we could possibly ask this witness. You know, they, they always have this air of this is the exact only frame that we can be talking at this from. So questions like that, like, wait a minute, uh, that thing references terror and it's in a terrorist event. That isn't some kind of freaky thing. It's like, no, obviously not. Obviously not. And that is enough for people to separate it in their mind, compartmentalize it. No, I think it is subliminal too, but it's also subliminal, subliminal, <laughs> subliminal compartmentalization. But you're right. When I'm looking at this picture, I'm forced to look at these stupid images as more real because I'm now comparing it to a movie. Yeah, you're looking at the Hollywood fake makeup and you're saying, well, this other stuff can't be makeup because I'm used to it. in real life always comparing that ad to, you know, something like that. But here's an, here's a way you can break that spell. If you watch any movie, watch for product placement. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. They, they show a Pepsi machine 
in the middle of uh, some dramatic scene. And that is there for a reason. Somebody got some money for that. And somebody paid some money for that. So if you think about it like a product placement, then it's much easier for you to go, oh, okay, it's still a movie. It's still a script. But there was something involved where they're able to put context within another context. There can be layers to this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it must be a script if they're getting advertisers for it. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. It does make you wonder how many people, for example, how many... Um, you, you don't really see corporations blurring their name out in these terrorist things. You, you never see, like, we don't want to be associated with terror. There, it almost seems like you have the sense that every single... Dunn Brothers, where there was a, or what is it, you know, Einstein Bagel Company, where there was a mass shooting, or whatever other company is involved in these, they're just like, all right, attention, people looking at our logo, fantastic, I don't care if like, a hundred people got run over by a truck, like, this is great, you don't have the sense that they're like, oh, this is really ugly, can we not have these photographs of this or can we like ask the photographers take different angles so we're not focusing right on the logo right in the center of the of the photo so i don't know it it just makes you wonder there is this crossover and there's this potential for money going on right there you know i noticed that in the ferguson riots remember those where they supposed young black men were destroying vandalizing all these businesses uh well, I looked into it quite a bit because it was disturbing. In the story, it was so fake. The guy was like, "Yeah, I think we've been running. My dude's been shot." It's like, come on, I can't. I try to do a video with my camera. I can't keep my face in the frame. It's hard. Just in the car talking, these guys are running in their faces in the frame the entire time. Hmm. It's, bal- it's baloney. But anyway, so I looked into it. On the first day, there were no advertisers. Okay, wait, none wait. of the Hold buildings got. But these are probably cameras with two, these are probably phones with two cameras, and they're looking at themselves on their own screen, right? As they're running backwards. Yeah, that's a good trick. And you're not tripping or falling. (laughs) As they're running back. Oh, yeah, that is a bit odd. Well, okay, anyway. Oh, no, as they're running forwards, but looking backwards, you know. Oh, I see what you're saying. Wow, yeah, that is. Like the Casey Neistat or the other YouTubers that are promoted because they. No, they sold out to one particular story or another. Hold on a second. Got to take care of this cricket. Okay. I'll shut him up. Okay. Leave that in the audio. That is cool stuff. It's satisfying, right? Because the listener is also listening to it. Let us also feel the satisfaction of that shoe drop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If if we must, if we must go more fakeologists, why not? Right. But, oh, Casey Neistat. I have a suggestion. All you people who think Casey is a a lion scum, why don't we um, tag him on YouTube? Why don't we do what's that thing you do when you think someone's, you know, like their video because of some reason? Flag it. So let's flag his video. Just start flagging it. Oh, I've already done that. But unfortunately, I can only do it once. And then YouTube's pretty good at keeping those away from me. Okay, good. Yeah. Just and then it. all the people who are within the sound of my voice, <laughs> please flag it too. All five listeners. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway, so let's, I was backing up about the Ferguson riots. 
Then on the, the second day, it was like Kentucky Fried Chicken and 7-Eleven gets, gets involved. Oh. Wait, on the first day, yeah, because it was a mom and pop thing on the first day. And then I think like Big Bear Car Wash or something. But on this, and then a couple locals. But each day, it got more and more advertisers. It got more and more. And then on the third day, now it's like, you know, six different, you know, brand name stores are getting their names flashed for getting trashed and or vandalized, burnt down by these young black men. But I watched it on the first day. It was only like two stores. Where did all these other stores come from? And it was supposed to all happen within this small time period. Hmm, yeah, there is that strange phenomenon, too, and not to bring it back to Occupy, but why is it that the Macy's window always gets smashed in these protests? <laughs> right. What is with Macy's <laughs> and a provocateur always showing up? Nobody knows where they came from. Maybe they're wearing jackboots, like as if they're like secret police or something, and they have some handkerchief, and they just start smashing Macy's windows. What kind of deal is going on there? What What... What do these random people have against Macy's? I always <laughs> wonder <scary>. that. <laughs> What's going on there? Huh? And every doesn't matter the city. No. <laughs> it's in front of Macy's. Yeah, I think. Ooh, let's Google. That's a very interesting. That is something we'll have to look. <laughs> I think I don't know what, but I think Macy's was just kind of like, you know, what? This is good advertising for us. Anytime there's a protest that comes by, and we want to protect Macy's. It kind of creates this, again, it's like the comparison, the comparison mind game. Here's an advertisement for a, a terror movie, and here's the so-called real terror movie that you're in, you know. It's just like, here's the the pomp and the properness and the the class of Macy's versus the ugly, horrible, socialist person with a bat you know smashing the macy's window they need it for the dichotomy yeah it it sets up that drama it again. sure does right if you just do a like a mom and pop store it's not that big a deal no but if you smash a macy's window it's it's like macy's represents establishment it's almost like if you're going to break into a bank let's break into the um you know this bank is owned by rockefeller you know or something like that so what's in your macy's window right now I have to look it up. Hold on, let me do it. No, a... you think. No, no, you just think. Think of a Macy's window right now. Oh, What's I see. It? Okay, it would be um, nice Turkish bathrobes. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know what mine is? What? A woman with, you know, standing with her arms out to her side in a red jacket, like mid-length, and a big red hat. That's in my Macy's window. <laughs> the Macy's window in your mind? Yeah, when you said smash a Macy's window and I, I, I saw it in my mind, that's the window I saw. Well, it's funny that you say that because if I imagine the Macy's window that actually gets smashed, it's, I think, empty. I think it's, it doesn't damage any product. It's the, it's the Macy's window that's just kind of like a, a gold foil or a, or kind of like a mannequin or something. That's what I that's what I picture is let's go vandalize Macy's symbolically mm-hmm. for some reason. But yeah, it just I I don't get that. And it and it always seems to be that the protest groups are like, who is that? 
where did they come from? <laughs> why, why didn't they say anything about what they represent? They just show up, smash a window, and then leave? And then the cops show up? Okay, hmm. It's right? Like, it's just to get the police involved in this particular way. I don't know. And, you know, when we had the um, the WTO protests, Oh, yes. The people who smashed windows, they actually had a crowbar and they dug up the brick around the trees <laughs> to pull it out and smash it. I mean, they came prepared. They were, you know, the paid, obviously. But they only picked places as if they exactly knew where these trees were with the brick and dug them up. They went right to the places where there were bricks, like around a tree. Yeah. And took the brick. Hmm. Yeah, that is odd. When they were cleaning everything up, they're like, where did the brick come from? And they're like, oh, right there. Huh. So they just put it back in next to the tree. I don't know what that has to do with, but that is a funny story. Right. Wouldn't you think you'd bring your own brick? No, they're too heavy, damn it. See, that's, <laughs> that's I guess, how it's done. That's smart. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. In use the, city. the Use the public park. Yeah, that's, that, that's almost kind of like a symbol, too, isn't it? It's almost like... Well, here's this freedom that we've allotted you, and you are abusing that freedom. You know, it, it does have that kind of air to it. Right. And wasn't 7-7 not in a park, but like a roundabout or something? Well, it was actually in front of the Tavistock Institute, which is a psychological group which sells their data to uh, intelligentsia and and uh, apparently military groups, and they, they're... Their specific task is to modify mass amounts of people's behavior. So it's just funny that at this, you know, we're talking about advertising and why things happen in certain places um, when money is involved. And it makes you wonder, well, why did this happen right in front of the very institute that would benefit the most from controlling the scenario and getting a lot of psychological data and profiling done? based on people's reactions to this event. It just so happens that it's like the definition of that kind of group. Right. And and they got a lot of good advertising. Yeah. Ta- in front of the Tavistock Institute today, there was a bombing. It's almost like, hey, governments out there that are interested in uh, controlling your public, come to us. Right? Look, they're ad, it's their ad, that's, that's how they advertise, you see. <laughs> I think that is how a public relations group would advertise themselves. Not, a, not right? in a, yeah, not in a purely, I mean, if you look at their websites, usually the public relations sites are actually kind of pathetic and weird. And I think that's almost itself a kind of public relations thing. Like when you see that suspicious milk truck going by, it's like, oh, that's just a milk truck. It's not, it doesn't have, it's, it's not a, a truck. <laughs> it's, it's not a big semi with, you know, um, you know, with like gadgets and radar dishes and things on it. It's this innocuous looking thing. But this is quite dynamic, I think, as an advertisement. Yeah. So well done, Tavistock. I'm going to slow clap this one. And public transportation. Job. Let's not forget the tube. Yes, yes. Oh my God. There's a show on TV now, you know, about, um, their, the whole revamping of the London Underground with the, you know, the borers and it's quite fascinating. And I'm like, God, this is interesting. I was thinking about the 7-7 bombing and where it happened and how it's kind of part of the, you know, the whole, 
the new uh, system now. So what was much needed, I suppose, you know. Yeah, I suppose. I, I wonder what would be the motive besides this specter of um, crazy brown people with beards and weapons. What what is what was their incentive to be like? Oh yeah, let's let's create this event because what we really want security for is what exactly is it graffiti? Is it is it what is it that they're actually combating? And it's funny because. In the photography, ostensibly it's photography, it actually looks like it very, like all of it is very heavily doctored and photoshopped. Um, of the, the exploded bus on 7-7, you've got these two pictures of a sort of the top of the bus, the siding of the top of the bus leaning out. And in one picture, there is a tag, like someone graffitied it, and it doesn't look like a police tag. <laughs> even though that's kind of the joke in the post, it looks like uh, some territorial thing. And you have it in one, you don't have it in the other. And it, that, to me, all, almost also feels like a subconscious or a subliminal message. Like, graffiti is associated with terror now. You know, it's, it's uh, inconvenient, it's improper, or whatever. I don't know if you can but, see that on this page. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm... I would imagine it also means something. I suppose, yeah, you you could. It, there's there's something for you guys to do if you're interested in graffiti. See if you find something in there. I'm snipping it as we speak. There we go. It's I got it for later. Looks almost like a tic tac toe kind of thing, or a, I want to see. Is there like a devil? Looks like there's a devil in it, like a hand kind of looking like a devil. And as you look at the various photographs, supposed photographs of this event, you see a lot of strange things like that where you kind of wonder, is this angle actually depicting everything correctly uh, that is seen in another angle? Or is it kind of just placed there uh, roughly in the same place by someone you know, building this terror scene? Now, I think there could have been a bus for sure. I think there could have been, even in an evacuated square, like in front of Tavistock, some kind of exploded bus or explosion. However, it is interesting that, unlike 9-11, you wouldn't have had an explosion to get people's attention, and then another explosion, which supposedly some people may have witnessed or not. And that's, that's a whole other research topic. In this case, you would just have a single bomb blast, supposedly, and then people are, are supposed to have instantly, you know, gravitated their attention to this. So in that case, you don't need to actually have a bomb blast, because if you just direct your attention to a bunch of screaming people saying there was a bomb blast, um, and they are actors or what have you, the terror event has already happened, and now it's just people groaning and getting carted away and... So I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if there was uh, this or not, but that's something worth looking into, you know, seismic records, if there are any. There should be seismic records. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm changing, when I watched that show about the London Underground, mm. they have all these devices all over London, because mm -hmm. when they start drilling, because they're drilling under all these old cities, if if things are starting to move, 
if mm. land has moved even a smidge, everything is like on these reflectors, mm. then then they need to know. So you think, you know, there's all over these, you know, this whole big underground tunnel they're building. It's all over the route. You think if there was a blast, it would have shook one of those. I don't know when they installed it. But, I mean, there's one one way we can might prove it. But did they even need to just make a sound, cordon off the, you know, cordon off the street? It's I think it'd be pretty easy to fake. Put some smoke up. Yeah. And yeah. If you look at the next picture where Simon writes, what exactly is going on here? There are some people that kind of look like maybe they've had a rough day. And, I mean, it's it's a bit of gallows humor, but that's about the worst you can say for them. They're sitting around. One of them appears to have maybe a bloody nose. Um, do they look like they've been through a bomb blast? Do they look like they've been through a blast that would literally blow off the roof of this bus and these people would still be surviving and just milling about kind of going oh that was odd gee that was a loud report you know like what (laughs) what could this be what could be going on here tavistock institute hey you know what i see a lady in this picture that i don't know if you see it looks like she's holding her hands up in the air but it's supposed to I'm going to show you, send you this picture. Send me a pic. I think it's a little bit of subliminal there. Let's read, while you're doing that, a bit of Antipodian's uh, research into 7-7, which follows. Interestingly, the 7-7 victims did not have their deaths registered until August 2007, as shown here with the registered death of New Zealander Shelley Mather. And he has a picture of the death record, 2007. Shelley Mather's aunt Bernadette Hall is some sort of recognized poet. This was touched upon on the old forum. He may be referring to Reality Shack or something else. With some similarities between some of the characters in her poems and some 7-7 victims. So you have a amateur writer roped in who may have wanted to do this for the prestige with the government or what have you. In a similar vein to text from David Angel penned scripts popping up as part of the official 9-11 narrative. So you have the sense that, yes, there could be creative writing involved, just as there is in a Hollywood movie. And they even might have conveniently removed the person, who, the very person who was involved in writing some of it. If, if it wasn't just a pen name in the first place. You see how convenient that is? You have a writer create some of the characters that are dying, and then they die along with their own characters and are removed from the scene. Mm. He writes, There's an interview with Shelley Mather's father after he appeared via video link at the current 7-7 inquests. This, is, this lends to the idea that if Shelley Mather is real or not, or if the family is involved in government or not, uh, they are now, right? Because as soon as you're in the media and the media spotlight, especially involved in inquests, you are basically in like the government spotlight. And I imagine you shouldn't step out of bounds, as it were, you know? And in England, I suppose, especially, <laughs> it would be kind of improper to say the wrong thing in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the next post, Antipodian writes, 
An interesting day ahead at the 7-7 inquests for the, with the testimony of Richmal Oates Whitehead being read. And he links to uh, some testimony, apparently. Let's take a look at that real quick. Coroner's inquest into the London bombings of 7 July 2005. That's right. We have cost incurred by the inquest for the period of January 2010. What else? Responses to reports under Rule 43 of Coroner's Rules 1984. What? I'll be All darned. Wow, so there's looks like there's millions. What? Could this be right? Over what? four million pounds? Just by inquests. Just by the... People asking about what happened. I I think, yeah, like the officials going through the process. That's a lot of money that got paid out to folks. Staff, legal services, which is, looks like half. (laughs) Half of the total is legal services. Hmm. It says here, in the interest of openness, the secretary to the inquest has decided to publish a broad overview of costs incurred during the course of the inquest, capital I. These will be updated on a quarterly basis. Uh, yeah, it is odd. I would say that is a broad overview indeed because 600,000 pounds is rather round number for accommodation. And that's the coroner's office, right? It's to the coroner. The coroner is the one losing this money. I suppose that would be it. But since it's uh, Her Majesty's coroner, I don't think money would be an object in this case. It would just be people getting money from the government for following through on all this stuff. Right, right. If if this is even you know, <laughs> if this if this could be even said to be the exact total that's honestly being reported. It around. said uh, six hundred and eighty-five thousand pounds for IT services. I suppose that would be photoshopping pictures, maybe. In a one-year period. No, they wouldn't pay those photoshoppers that much, would they? (laughs) Those poor folks. About two and a half million pounds on external legal services. Yeah, that's almost half of it. Is that, is this, you know what, is this like what we can expect from everyone? There's all these different areas. They have staffing issues they have to deal with. They still have to deal with legal because their opera, you know, their little their little shows are in cities, and that has a real life um, consequence. It has a very weird, silly legal document feel to it in the sense that you don't really know what you're getting for the money. It's like a receipt, um, and then where it says dot 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 the product that you just bought. There's no product. It's just like here's the money that we spent. But what does this money actually do? What does it go through? Apparently, it's to get transcripts. But anyway, it's interesting. It's good. It's good that Antipodian is on top of it. That's weird, right? He goes on to write that Richmal Oates Whitehead was the New Zealand woman working at the nearby British Medical Association in Tavistock Square, who ran out to administer first aid to the survivors of the number 30 bus which is apparently the one which exploded and uh, is very stage-managed looking, surrounded by parked cars and kind of inaccessible there. Within a few weeks, she was found dead in her London flat after having been the victim of a vicious character assassination, apparently. So at the same time that uh, she was being 
torn to shreds in the public eye, they were also planning her gruesome demise. Oh, fantasy life and lonely death of a woman hailed as a heroine of mm. the July 7th bombing. Oh, it's sad already. I don't know if I can take reading the article. It might be a little bit too British and grim. The only viable motive for the death, apparently, is that she witnessed a controlled second explosion, which can easily be explained. Uh, he doesn't explain what he means by which can easily be explained, but perhaps, you know, this is to listeners uh, some kind of inspiration to uh, look into this whole thing. I'm beginning to conclude that the London bus bombing was probably Peter Power's visor exercise. Why else would he happily incriminate himself, stating that his exercises were being carried out at the very locations of the three London tube stations? In other words, it's another case where the drill about the terrorist event is happening at the same time that the supposedly real terrorist event is happening. So it's almost like that thing where they could say, well, the drill went live or the drill goes live and then you have all the crisis actors and what have you people pretending to be injured people pretending to rescue the injured and so on all stage managed the company he was working with could well have been the bma themselves hence the reason for power taking three plus years to name reed elsevier as the company that were his client who appeared to have a cozy relationship with the bma the bma being The British Medical Association, I suppose? Here's CCTV footage of the number 30 bus going past the British Medical oh. Association. There you go. Yeah. Maybe Oates Richmel was taken out because she knew of this connection and couldn't be relied upon to keep quiet. There's also a chance that the BMA would have to be involved since, you know, the whole thing is about getting support for security and paramedics and things like that. So... In my opinion, this is more probably a stage-managed fake death in order to tie it all together in one story. What do you think, Kay? Does that feel right to you? Or do you think that maybe someone may have had to have been uh, taken out for knowing too much? Well, I think all the signs point to stage-managed, so I'd have to go that route. If you think about real families ever clamoring to discover you know, the deaths of their loved ones and so forth. You just think they don't want to deal with that. They don't want to have real family. And there's this whole illusion, you know, now in the media that, well, real families are just, uh, they just kind of disappear and hush up and they're very quiet. They don't really, and they may even laugh and joke and, and be kind of smiley about their murdered loved one. But I think in real life, someone whose death is rather mysterious and who is, the, and it's the death of, you know, someone who really was missed, you kind of would be curious, and you might even go so far as to get a lawyer and start pressing charges and trying to find out what really happened to them. So I just think they would want to avoid that whole thing, just as they were able to do, what, four years earlier, with 9-11. Oh, yes, yes. You know, and this is a litigious country, too. We are known for our litigiousness. And so, London's got to be one of the right? centers of that too, right? The city Especially of London. All, 
Right, all those lawyers. Oh my God, all those um, lawyers, bankers, all that bankers, legal come on, Anglo right? shit. Yeah. So that's exactly why they can't use real people in these, and that's why exactly I think no one ever really dies. You don't need to. If you need to bump someone off, you you're not going to do it in front of all these people. No one would go. I mean, Ab said it before. People aren't going to go along with you if they know this is going to end up in murder. I think that's true. They need uh, a lot of help, too. You can be more easily convinced of your fame and your uh, prestige, even infamy. Um, and, of course, let's not forget all this money that's apparently going around after these events or during these events or before these events. If you know, yeah, if you know that you're not going to be, you're not going to have your hands dirty, basically. Except for if we're, it's just to justify what the military is going to do anyway, which is fl- fly planes and bomb brown people just as they've always done. Right. Exactly. It's a job though, I think, you know, we're thinking good, bad, but I think when you're in it, you develop a psychology that if I don't do it, someone else gonna. That's when you know you're on the wrong side. Okay. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, okay. One more thing before we get to that picture. Simon Post's in case we're wondering what sort of movie the poster was advertised, it's the horror epic the, De- the Descent, about six women trapped underground. <laughs> Another coincidence, since of course we had the underground tubes underground being tubes. yeah blown oh. up. You know they were probably just clearing away shit. You know it was part of the beginning of the construction project. That's probably all that was. They needed this huge blast and they had to blame it on something. I was thinking about this while I was watching, you know, the whole uh, London Underground movie. They no, they so nicely provided for us on Netflix. But it's fat. You should watch it. What movie? All these, oh, it's, what is it? They're building, you know, the whole new tunnel for um, commuters. You know, all these different spots, they're going to have all these openings, and they're making these gardens, and it's a really huge project. I wonder if they touch on, in that documentary, anything about the 7-7 bombings, and or if they might even allude to recent terrorist events and how they have to, you know, build these tunnels in a particular way to prevent, uh, you know, crazy Muslims from doing something untoward. Right, they meant, right interesting, they didn't know... They didn't talk about safetyness, just about how to keep the dang water out. That was the terror, <laughs> the terrorist in this situation. I think they mentioned it for one of the openings that they're redoing. Oh, and this is where the seven seven bombing happened. But it's just like a sentence, and right. then they went to because it was a massive project. Oh my god, they had to close waterways and do a bunch of cool things. Right on. Oh well, it was tied in though. Right, so the massive bombing, yay, it starts the project exactly where we want. Uh, 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 that's how it is. Speaking of uh, product placement, uh, like 7-7 was in perhaps this thing, apparently this movie, The Descent, uh, there's a quote from Neil Marshall, apparently the filmmaker, who stated that people were still trapped underground in reality and so it hurt the box office, and they didn't really want to go see a film about people trapped underground. Now, I wonder how that pans out. Because The Descent apparently was popular enough that it spawned like a sequel or two, did it not? Yeah, and this is one tube in a nation of millions, in a city of millions. What could one tube have? They weren't trapped underground. 
How many people were trapped underground? Half the damn city? What's he talking about? I'm not so sure that's even accurate about how people behave. People don't want to see a movie about an event that affects their real lives. If they think it's real, they might actually want to go see entertainment about that very thing. Right? To but, identify with it. and Yeah. And to, to maybe even feel some kind of um, context for this traumatic thing. In any case... The whole point is that it is very clearly tied up with, again, this similar idea deliberately removed from this other deliberate idea, which is that, you know, these terrorists blew up this bus. And so, so there we have it. That is the introductory guide of 277. And there's a whole other thread on Glutesworm I should mention. Which is where is it? Seven seven London seven seven fake terror, and this is twelve pages rather than a single page, and we've got stuff posted from October twelfth, twenty ten, all the way to July eighth, uh, the anniversary more or less this year. So it's been going, you know, here and there, and I mentioned it in the Vixen report because of the similarity of the um, supposed Vixen pictures related to 7-7 and how they represent kind of maybe the British version of what you see in the 9-11 Vixen, which is all these kind of weird, possibly morphed, borrowed smiles and eyes and faces and kind of unbelievable names and such. That's that's what you can find in Clues Forum. Fuzzy. Oh, gosh. And the ones Overexposed. Where, oh, the, te- the terrible photos, which are just... Oh my gosh, you, you can't imagine this is supposed to represent uh, a loved one. They all seem to be in bars, you know, like <laughs> dark, dark, scary places behind them. Hmm. Speaking of weird photos, what's this one that you have for me of the lady? Well, it's supposed to be half of her face is in shadow and half is in, is in light. But what I see is the half that's in light, in light actually looks like an entire woman with her hands up in the air. She's even looking at the word the. And she looks emaciated somehow. Scary, kind of skeleton, skeleton-ish. Yeah, it's in the, that's this from the seven side of the 7-7 bombing bus. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying in the poster for the movie The Descent, it looks as though the light has been crafted into a sort of a uh, the shape of a body right yeah the shape of a i think there's a picture where there's an old lady and she's just her head but if you look at it a different way you see like a beautiful lady in silhouette or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i see what you're saying a whole yeah. body mm, so in a way this is another artistic nod at the rorschach test or like what are you looking at you know well, you, you, you decide kind of thing it's, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. well it's got it's all its parts its arms are up in the air it's got a neck it's got a leg bent at the knee it's got a behind it's got a hair it's got a bun on its head a nose a chin i think there's enough there to subliminally see it sure to register that would, that would be and, the artistic direction of a movie poster right but, yeah it's good yeah right so it's like a a a full-size naked lady hidden in the just the head of the lady who you're supposed to see in the picture. 
Right. And my point is that it's like when you have those images, it is asking the viewer to interpret the image not just at face value, but perhaps more than one way. In the same sense that 7.7 is almost asking you to, okay, what are you looking at? It's almost asking you, what are you looking at here? And that is kind of the weird, twisted way that I think these things are run, where the um, the psychological profiling is kind of part of their study of these things. I think they kind of wait for people to react. I think the Internet has been a very useful tool for them to study people and how, like, for example, we are one uh, kind of demographic, they would say, which looks at these events in a particular way. We always look at it from, okay, how was this photoshopped? How was this constructed? And But that's just one demographic, and there's a whole mass of others that will look at it one way or another. They will see it at as, oh, the tragedy of life, or they'll see it as, well, this is why we need security. And each one of those, they can study the reactions with things like Facebook and uh, political sites. And I think that right. is partially why the, we get these politicians that we're getting now, is because they've been studying us very closely. And the advisors, these political advisors, are now more informed than ever about how people make decisions why they make decisions and they may not have the full picture but i don't know if they even really care about the full picture like the consciousness level the awareness level they more just care about the results of okay this person exhibits this particular um i don't know style of observation online and that matches this particular sway so and i think that's why the significance of it appearing in front of tavistock is so, for the lack of a better word, interesting. Because that is exactly the kind of study that Tavistock conducts in order to better manipulate people, shall we say. Right. Yeah, that's a crazy one. It's, it's Some of the things are so stupid obvious. What's with the circular saw cut? Yeah, that, that does look like it's not even a damage that could have happened from... Uh, a bomb blast in that in the, in the sense that that bomb blast is supposed to have taken place in that particular way and that looks like well they just took they're trying to make it look like it's from a scrapyard like they went at it with some tools is what it looks like went at it <laughs> they did right what's and then you can see where they stopped cutting so maybe you could like fool yourself to like maybe it was the bomb blast but then how does a bomb know where to stop right in the middle of a cut? <laughs> it's ridiculous. And did these people who are on top of the bus, did they climb up there after the blast or were they there during the blast? Do we know? What exactly is supposed to have taken place here? And the reporting always seems to fail, but it fails in a convenient way because, of course, okay, we don't care how they got up there because the main point is so many people died, so many people got injured. You know, we're not analyzing it. We're not looking into it. We're just reporting the most traumatizing, hard-hitting facts here, they, which they're purporting to be facts. So they have an excuse built into the event for why they don't go into details. If you want details, they'll release 
some weird little fanciful stories here and there, possibly written by you know a poet or someone that's faked their death along with the psyop. But there you have it. It's all very circular, and if you try to ask questions of it, the response is like this stone wall of more security, then you'll have more answers. Give us more money, then you'll have more answers. Because we're watching more things now. See them before we weren't. We told you we would watch them before for you, because that's what you pay us for. But we were. But I guess we weren't watching what we thought we were watching. So if you give us more money, we'll watch better for you. Yeah, we need more CCTV cameras. Obviously, we need things that can smell people's DNA. Uh, we need people to uh, be, you know, walking around with guns all over the streets just to be sure. You know, just to be safe. Need more black baklavas, yeah, because you don't need to know who they are. That's not your business. Put your baklava on, officer, and get on your way. Thank you. And we obviously need information to be less available so that we can decide, you know, let's see, how do I do this in an accent? So when you're asking us these questions, what you're really asking us to do is, I don't know, I don't know what country this person is from. Is this an English accent? Anyway, I'm trying to do an English accent. Yeah, it's good. What you're really asking us to do is not answer more questions. You're giving us more questions not to answer is basically what you're doing. So, <laughs> Thank you, and I appreciate your help. <laughs> questions not to answer. My God, there's so many questions not to answer. You're really helping us out by giving us uh, the number of things that we don't know. So that we don't have to ask them ever again. And yes, and I'm so sorry that I cannot precisely source that advice. <laughs> right. Who are these images from? Are these from, do we know where they came from? Is it just like the BBC website? Uh, it's Yeah, it's usually BBC mail. It's the typical ones that you will find. But I'm so the curious. Releases. Right. Why would anyone release um, a picture of such an obvious saw job that you know they see the circular saw halfway cut through this beam on the, the with the corner of the bus and then stop isn't would how could that pass i don't know the filter the editors are people looking at these yes but can't you see there was a bomb that's that's not important whether somebody you know came in with a with a saw or anything like that it a bomb obviously went off. So Right. There's a lot of disturbing things about this picture, too, where you see where they cut the metal off, but there's this bar that's perfectly fine and not burnt. Don't bombs burn things? No, no, no. This, this is the new kind of bomb. The Muslim bomb doesn't actually burn anything. It, it explodes with pure extremist belief, you see. So <laughs> what we're doing is we're capturing the evil of the Muslim in documentary evidence. Oh, I get it. I get it now. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And, and as you can see, the people on, on the top of the bus, they're not, they're not really injured per se. They're, they're just insulted, really, by the, the gall of the terrorist. <laughs> they're, they're insulted. They are deeply, deeply insulted, and the only rectification possible is Obviously giving us more money. More money so that we can do more security. Everywhere. More watching everywhere. Yes. More cameras everywhere. All the time. They, they talked about that in the documentary. How they're even installing more cameras. 
So like every tube opening has a kajillion cameras watching it now. They did you right now that I'm remembering. They talked about that. So put on your pretty face there when you're going into the tube, Londoners. Okay? Wear your best clothes. You could be on camera. But don't smile too much because smiling is really offensive to Londoners. So just go in like looking awesome but kind of grumpy. Oh, I guess. Oh, is that what you do in there? You're not supposed to smile? Yeah, they're like, if you smile, they're like, what's happening? Those your your The corners of your mouth are distorted a little. What? Is everything okay? Shall I call a doctor? Are you nervous? Yeah. Something wrong? Oh, so maybe if I wear a hoodie or a cape and put the hood up, no one will recognize me or see me. Stuff a bunch of stuff under your hoodie, like around your arm area, and look really shifty-eyed. Shifty back and forth. No one will. No one. I'll just walk straight through. They won't even recognize me. If the media teaches us anything, it's that the least suspicious people are people who are acting entirely suspicious and <laughs> incredibly suspect. Thank you. Thank you. We're pointing that out, folks, because it's just the opposite in movies. I love it. It's like the guy who's trying to make sure nobody sees him has the only one with the big giant hood over his head. Yeah. Isn't that suspicious looking to you a little bit? I wouldn't just look at that. Go, oh, I wonder what that dude's hiding. He throws he up a hood and he hunches over a little, right? puts it's his hands in his out. pockets. Right. He speedily crosses any area he's trying to traverse. <laughs> Right? That's called people training. This is how, and you see teenagers do it. It's just the funniest thing. It's like, no, no, that's what you're not supposed to do. Stop watching TV. <laughs> Back oh, to they TV. confuse themselves. They confuse themselves, don't they? With their, their archetypes and things. I think that's the whole game and why it, it, it translates so well into politics because the Hollywood writers and such, they don't really have a great grasp of of how things work in reality, and they don't need to, because the point is it's a pleasing story or some kind of pleasing arc or something for what we're expecting. It's not exactly... I think we need better creative storytelling. I think we need better uh, fiction and better nonfiction. We should demand that, really as as consumers of entertainment and consumers of media. But because people keep going back to the lowest common denominator and the the simple things which work narratively, they know that they can just move that into the so-called realm of reality and people will still buy it. They'll be like, well, I saw that on TV or I saw that in the movie. And yeah, that is kind of emotionally satisfying. It kind of is... Yeah, that victim is supposed to feel really bad, and then the heroic government is supposed to come in and kind of be like, oh, we have to do this. Oh, we feel so bad about this, but we really must legislate this. Right. I think the whole, you know, the more I'm watching this, like the Hillary thing, it's like the whole buying it. I mean, they want us to buy it, but we have to accept it first. So it's... They do it ahead of time, so psychologically we've already, you know, loaded the, those images and those thoughts. So when it hits us again, it's familiar. We're not, it's familiar. It's something we've seen and done before, and it's not, it's 
it's it's easier to accept it then because it's already in my brain. I think it's necessary. They have to do it. We have to. The Simpsons have to do the 9-11 stuff. You know, South Park has to talk about the Boston, you know, bombing or whatever weird thing. It's they're priming the kids to say, hey, get ready. It's coming. But you don't have to worry because it's just a cartoon. I think that's how they also protect children. I've been thinking about that. But I think ah, so you're thinking that in a way they they prime adults with the same entertainment that they caution the next generation? I think so. Mm-hmm. Because, like, are you my now, son... Are you saying that... I'm suspicious. Are you saying that because you're a mother and because that's what you want to believe? Because I don't... I, I, well, I'm, you could be onto something, but I'm trying to figure out how you even came up to that came up with well, that my son told me this um he was saying you know mom i was watching um the simpsons and i was watching it and they were talking about um al qaeda and it was the scene where the kids were in their ninja masks and they were playing ninja in the street right but the parents drove by thought they were imitating isis or something like that so the parents got concerned and they all met up and stuff. And it's this whole cartoon. But as my son was watching it, he was like, I got the feeling while I was watching it, they were telling me how to think about it, how to think about ISIS. Because after I was forming an opinion about ISIS based on this cartoon. Interesting. Now, to me, that rings somewhat true as as like a creative um, goal maybe of of someone in like a creative in a position of creative power you know a, a cultural creator um, who is interested in pushing boundaries and and helping and helping people as as an artist from that standpoint but at the same time I I can't help but wonder and I'm not trying to always be cynical here but uh, regaining trust of each successive generation must be foremost on the minds of any patron of the arts, like NBC or Fox or whatever. So if they are warning children on some level, at the same time, they're also setting up the expectations of warning in that particular way, so it becomes again this well when they're older then then the demographic will be marketed to in their particular way because that's what i feel when i see things like oh um like an indiana jones movie or something that was marketed to me as an 80s kid and it was about you know secret things going on that the government didn't want you to know about okay on some level you can say that is some warning, but on another level, it's like, kind of like, you, you, don't, you don't have to investigate for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it's it's very optimistic. I, I'd like to believe that he's getting some positive thing that was actually intended as such. I think a lot of the art that gets funded, um, you know, you wonder how much of it is just getting more viewers all the time. They actually can sneak in uh, meaningful messages and so forth. And But then at the same time, 
how much they're pressured to or believe they should sneak in the messages of the oligarchy as well. Right. That's like, another why would this, Why would the Simpsons then also, you know, promote the 9-11 meme before it happens and stuff like that and then not go on to later explain in some way why 9-11 was hidden in the New York episode of The Simpsons before 9-11 occurred. Right? How, how do they, Matt Gronig, can you, can you dial in Matt Gronig, explain that for us, please? How did you know all that 9-11, how did you know, put all that together and it matched 9-11 exactly? Yeah, it is odd. I mean, I can't help but feel that the whole point of the political thing of these actors that we supposedly elect, which, as we point out, pointed out, we're not actually electing in some way. It's it's all part of this this game and this story that we keep telling ourselves about how it's working. It comes back to this entertainment and attention and celebrity and how they translate that into money and power and how that has been continually happening for thousands of years. You know, it, like the attention and the celebrity, um, maybe it was at some point more like royalty and religion. And now it still is that, this with religious figures and such, but it's also taken a back seat to kind of who are the entertainers commenting on the state and commenting on religion? And then, right. And then the military is all like, oh, we got to get in on that. That's really powerful stuff. We got to get in on that. Yeah. They're, they're, God, they're in the schools. They're everywhere, man, the military. It feels so bad for these teenage boys. Don't go in the military. Don't go down there. But the recruiters are everywhere. They do they do commercials. They're in advertisements. We get free calendars. Want a free go go military calendar? Hoy, I got a couple for you. I uh, I make my own calendars, but thank you. I can't. The system is so ginormous. What would people do if these uh, systems went out of business? What jobs would people really have? You know, that question is one of the biggest questions that we don't explore much on the show or even in our discussions about it and i think i've been thinking about it a little bit do you do you want my answer yes um i think racism is real many people are deeply suspicious of other people uh for superficial reasons for instinctual reasons, because simplifying an enemy in some way broadly protects you against that enemy in some way. And I think that the military practices the military movements all the time because they have one great fear. And it's not necessarily... Uh, one particular race, even though black people are obviously targeted all over, and other, you know, races and people of color and non-Jews are targeted by Jews and that sort of thing. But it's more that 
they sense that their fear is that if we don't practice this constant vigilance, over vigilance, overkill of vigilance, like cartoonish exaggeration of vigilance to the point where we're actually, you know, in, in a, in a cold war with everyone constantly, that we will somehow forget how to defend ourselves and that racism is a tool which they exploit for two reasons. One, because they believe in it, because they believe in the fear and they believe in the military mindset, and also because it reminds everybody how to fear and how to get into the military mindset. So I think that what happens is this this speculation that we have that well what is what is this peaceful world that we're after that we want to create uh it doesn't start necessarily with the approach that we have where we say well look at these obvious lies look at you know people accept the lies if they subconsciously believe that they are there for a reason they're there to protect them from the boogeyman that they fear. That's true. There's a lot of self-interest. Absolutely. So, the sad, my sad answer is that most people are not willing to accept the wide variety of differences that there are in the human race. They have a sense that there is only one way to be that if they won't get themselves there, they might at least force um, other people to not succeed. It's kind of a fear, a desperation, a self-victimhood mentality. Um so anyway, those those are things that I've been thinking about lately. Why? You wide. know what? There are those people. You're right. But I think genuinely, I know people. They don't change unless they need to. But when they need to, we are so malleable as humans. We really are. We are not. St- we're not one way. We're many ways. We can do. Um, we can adapt so amazingly when we need to, and when we, you know when the circumstances require it. So I have a lot of hope. I know the people around me in my neighborhood are freaking awesome, and I love them in there. I just found out my neighbor worked on the, uh, what's the, what's that bomber, the one that we couldn't see, that evaded radar, the first one that Boeing made? Stealth bomber. He worked on it. Can you believe that? And he didn't know that he'd had no, he didn't. He had to they work didn't. it out, didn't he? He did. <sighs> he did. It was one piece that fit in another piece. And he wasn't even, they weren't even allowed to tell him if it fit in another piece. Right. He couldn't even ask his fellow engineers like, uh, so what, so what does this go to? Right. And he asked, there was a guy that was with him the whole time and he was designing it. And so he would ask the guy, and he's like, I can't tell you. At a point, he said, listen, I can't go any further. I need to know the paint so it matches the other paint. 
So then, you know, when only when he was like desperate to know and he, you know, the project couldn't continue, would they comply and give him information? Well, speaking of people who are just kind of going along with things who have, who may have their heart in the right place, but who are willingly oblivious to the military power structure. Uh, and I realize this is so obscure that it may as well be fiction. But I'm telling you that I have a friend who says they have a friend who was for the longest time designing injectable microchips uh, and it and the body was rejecting them they were having some difficulty with this because the body would eventually kind of surround it and reject it this is not you know it's a foreign element and things um, but they had gotten as far as um, creating a kind of artificial mucusy thing which they would attach to this microchip which fooled the body and allowed the the microchips to stay in the body longer and um, I have no idea any more than that so I apologize for even <laughs> uh, bringing it up but it, but it reminds me that there's plenty I'm sure of people who have this idea and they're thinking because of the military culture and because of perhaps some deep-seated racism or fear that they have or some other um, prejudice maybe against psychopaths even you know psychopaths are kind of scary people that they will not ask the right questions about what they're doing with their life and they and they won't say wait a minute Am I involving enough of my community in this project? Do I have a community? Or if I don't have a community, what kind of other community will take advantage of my um, position? Mm -hmm. This is the same guy, apparently, that was going into, like... Uh, Big big box stores like Costco or uh, what is the other one? Sam's Club, and just spraying biological agents with like a spray bottle in order to test certain um, like manufactured artificial uh, germs on po the population and just sort of. Is that of, a true story? You think? No, I can't tell you i can't tell you all i can tell you is that this is what this person believes their friend to be doing oh. um now but then how do they track the people this is all i know i'm sorry because i mean that's that'd be okay if it was like that's a neurotoxin where you drop dead right there but you're gonna go home you like shoot little trackers on people after you do this as they exit please, the store please don't i i don't know we may okay. as well say it's fiction okay uh, but interesting though i mean it 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 speaks to using people as guinea pigs which i'm sure they do anyway so you know 
Well, there's there's language in the um, National Defense Authorization Act. There's language for it. The funny thing is, the elected officials are supposed to know about it beforehand. That was the latest NDAA that passed. Biological experiments like mass dropping of chemicals via probably airplanes um, or any other kind of experimentation on, on a population is supposed to be known about by the elected officials in the area. So we're talking about politics. We're talking about, you know, local level. Get a hold of your local people and make sure that they actually have the power that they are supposed to have because that's another important uh, measure we have. Right. Yeah, exactly. Take some pictures of what's above your sky, above your house, and ask him, is this above your house too? I'd just like to know, is this traffic? Is this? You don't even have to say chemtrails. I would say this traffic, you can even call it pollution. Why is the pollution trails above my house, and how is that okay? Yeah, I wonder about that too. The, what kinds of uh, things are in this pollution? Well, I mean, gosh, we could we could go off on so many different random topics. And right, we, seven seven leads to a mall because it's you know it's the heart of Tavistock. There, what's going on? Yeah, it does. It makes you wonder. I think the real thing that we haven't maybe taught anything new about Tavistock to people except that it might except that it exists for people that aren't aware. Uh but it it's disturbing enough. It's disturbing enough that such a corporation exists and um boasts about the goals that it does. And it's worth you know, if if looking into seven seven gives you nothing else except that, um I think that's a pretty powerful gift to listeners. Oh, yes, I totally agree. We talked about, I feel like we talked like five minutes about 7-7 and the rest of it was other stuff, but I I kind of don't care. I kind of think that that's, that's the start. You know, maybe next time we talk about 7-7, um, who knows what episode that will be, but maybe we can... You know, go into um, other other bits of the thread, like the the other photo inconsistencies, um, the strange stories of victims, or even just their names and their pictures, which is really weird. Yeah, there's a lot of funky stuff. <laughs> Yes.
read the thread. It's 12 pages long. It's a pretty good thread. Yeah, it's a, it, this one is more approachable than others, maybe because we haven't done our diligence. But, yeah, let me see. What is our next episode about? Okay, so the next topic is the Jewish Holocaust. You don't want to do it? I do. I'm okay. very excited. Oh, um, but I'm nervous because I feel like other people have researched it and exposed the lies way better than I have. And I feel like I am at the, you know, if there's different levels to understanding different hoaxes, I'm at the equivalent of loose change level, you know, like, so there's like the Judy Wood level of 9-11. No, no, no. There's like the official conspiracy theory of 9-11, you know, which is you know, the Muslims or whatever. Then there's the, um, then there's the Judy Wood level, which is like space beams, you know, and then there's maybe the loose change level, which is kind of like, Maybe they were all in. Yeah, they were all in on it. Maybe some people didn't die. Maybe you know. And then there's the the clues forum victim report level, which is like, okay, there's a lot of evidence that people didn't die or whatever. But I still am kind of in the loose change level on the Holocaust. I'm like, I haven't looked into it enough. The only thing I know is I got to look at um, in the Anne Frank Museum in the Netherlands, which I'm. I don't think I'm not convinced Anne Frank was even a real person. Yeah, and, I, I agree. And I, I think that that is an entirely uh, an entirely state-produced propaganda um, by Holland because Holland is bitter about Germany invading them and like taking over their whole army in like five minutes. So <laughs> I'm serious. Like I think the Netherlands is really bitter about that. They still are. They act bitter about it. And I think they're going along with anybody who's against Germany. And that, and in this case, it's the United States and England who teamed up to make, you know, Israel, this fictional country. Did you know the Diary of Anne Frank is one of the free scripts to high schools to use for plays? Right. No, it's everywhere. Full of free scripts. It's everywhere. And it's, and it's really twisted and weird. But in that museum, they have a box. You can't actually flip through it, but they have a box of a book. And you can look at this book, which is just, it looks like a tome. It looks thicker than the Bible of all the names of the supposed victims of the Holocaust. And it's open to, like, I don't remember, but I think it's probably open to the page on, like, the Franks, right? So Anne Frank and all, all her supposed relatives or whatever. It's like that's like the what do you call the Ellis Island book of all the incoming immigrants. They all sign the book. It's a big giant book you could supposedly flip through. So the like of all the do they sign their name or whoever? Well, but that might be that might be even more a more legitimate legal document than this is just literally printed names one after the other with no describing information. I don't think there's even ages or anything. Maybe there's ages, but it it's just names it's just a list and the whole book is supposed to be this list and it's open to only these two pages you know this spread 
and you're looking at this and going, and, and I was noticing even there, just in those two pages, I was noticing multiple copies of names. And I know that people have, okay, Tim Johnson is like a typical name. You'd see like a bunch of those. And so what the, the typical Jewish one would be uh, Schlemiel Frank or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. So you have like multiple copies of, of that. And you say, huh, like, why is there so many variations on the same page? Like, okay, this time it's the first name, this time it's the last name, and now it's the reverse. And I just thought, I, 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 I want to take off that shield, look at this book, and go, okay, who who are all these supposed to people? And research it, actually. But, you know, you can't do that like you can do 9-11. Because with 9-11, you have this list of over 3,000 names that the official story acknowledges, you know, 2,900 of. And there's another 100 or 200 that are just kind of like floating around. But with, but with 6 million names printed in this book, it's like, it's probably not even 6 million, right? Because you're just supposed to take it on faith. No one's going to sit there and count Okay, there's a, right. All you can see are two pages out of those six million. Yes, I don't even know if the other pages have anything on them. That's the whole thing. So, <laughs> no, right. so my point is, this is all we have on this. All we have is just this astounding number. And then in Europe, you're not allowed to question it, or you could get arrested, supposedly. Oh, heck yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, it, it becomes like it just becomes it's it's like a religion. It's like, uh, it's like, it's just quantity over quality. And, and then when you actually do see specific cases, it seems as though it's full of, full of holes. You've got people willingly lying and then later saying, well, yeah, I just made that up for sympathy or whatever. I mean, it's incredible the number of crazy stories there are. And then it all backs up to the motivation for the lies. And the propaganda and this idea that there actually was really some kind of antagonism between different countries and who set that antagonism up in the first place. So it's huge. Well, it's huge. It is huge. My brother's somewhat of a historian and he said there were like something like four times as many people who died just in the trenches from dysentery than from gunshots. Yeah, that makes sense. So. You know, of all the people involved in all the battles that took place, I would, I don't know. That's a good question. What Were all the battles real? Well, yeah, that's just it. You know, when there's a war, when there's actually the media saying, this is a war, this is a war that we're experiencing, what does that mean? What that means is from our perspective, from our knowledge now, we know that what that means is it's the military telling you we are actively lying, we are actively withholding information, we are actively commanding the population to go to war under these particular circumstances, under these ostensible goals. And so it's horrible. It's such a horrible situation. I, and they're saying we will support the state. Yeah. And right. And we're saying the 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 we will support the state that wins and this is the state that we want to win. And you know, these are the states that we would allow 
and these are the states that we don't want to allow and uh, it's, it's so like when you start examining it it just seems like anytime there's a war where they actively say this is a war and this will be written about in the history books nothing is is um solid everything is up for questioning so es- right, especially the Holocaust should be up for questioning because it is surrounded by oh, this context. Right. And this is why I don't understand why people say, oh, you can't. You can't even talk about it. Because it's like, no, this is exactly what we should be talking about. We should be talking about the fact that that perhaps, you know, well, some people, yes, okay, maybe some Jews died. But, you know, ha- like, under what circumstances and everything. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just... Well, for clarity, I know, like, it was the videos when I really understood about the Holocaust, I think, kind of figuring it out. A guy did this video on... um, It wasn't the ovens, it was delousing station. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I liked that. That was good. That was convincing. And it was... It was very... Yeah. And he showed how, like, they had modified it later to make the museum more more palatable to those who believed it was, like, an extermination camp. So they had, like, added things after the fact to make it look as though they had basically come in and turned it into a, like, um, extermination program. Right. And, you know, these, uh, the ovens, back in the 50s, all old institutions had those ovens. I mean, I worked up at Rainier State School in during high school. I volunteered up there, and they had ovens. What are they going to do with the dead? You know, any institution that dealt with humans that died, they had the ovens. Yeah. Because they don't want to keep burying people. So especially if they're not claimed bodies, they would just burn them. Right. There's no way they could come up with the fuel to burn that many. In wartime, no, no. there's no way now do, they're going to use if that fuel. you do fuel. the math, the amount of bodies they would have to uh, not only dispose of, and it, it would, anyway, yeah. So we're already on the See, topic. Yeah, it doesn't, there you go, but I guess. I guess I need a recommendation so, for getting started on this. But lice is a good way to go because that's exactly what was going on. That's what, that's where. I think the most solid information can be found. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start look on at that. that. I think. So that's, you know, like doing a proof. Look at the end game. I think that makes sense. I think. Right. Yeah, that helps. I think Clues Forum only but, has a few posts on the Holocaust. It's, um, we're a bit lacking in that. And I think one of the reasons is because Simon is nervous that he will be in trouble. Um, like he oh, will genuinely he is in Europe. Yes, huh? yes, he has said like this is a problem. This is well. Then let's not. Then let's not do. No, it. no, no. Do we have to? No, hold on. No, we are Americans. We can talk about whatever we want. You and I were not going to get arrested for talking about it. Mm-mm. No. So there's some some videos. I'm not sure which is which, but if you just go like Holocaust. People died from lice or from, was it typhus? What did, I mean, everyone, it wasn't just the the Holocaust people. Stupid. It wasn't people in, in prison camps. Entire Germany was battling mm. the same thing. Mm. These lice on these. 
rodents. I didn't say mice, did I? I didn't say lice on these mice. Mm. And the and this guy did a good job of going over like, yeah, where is that video? Was that from Absite? Watch it again with a new eye. Yeah, I'm, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to have to do some research, I think. That's what I'm going to have to do. And the guys who <sighs> wrote the books, there's a guy who's like, Hitler's diary fake. Oh, yes. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was some, yeah, there was some messing around there with Hitler as, as he was in power. Um, it was like kind of, you know, they were, they were already planning how they were going to put him in history books, sort of. Right. How they're going to bring him down. And I think that, that, that is one of the first steps to, you know, just like when we took out Japan, you know, what did, how did, how did they, how did they frame it? Well, they said the Japanese people didn't really want to go to war. It was the evil generals and the generals didn't want to surrender. And then they did, you know, they don't really go too much into Japan's xenophobia, um, you know, and things like that. You know, we we set up how we're going to re-remember. <laughs> and so I'm sure that one of the first steps to removing Hitler from power was, here's how it's going to happen. <laughs> He's going to be accused of wanting to exterminate the Jews and like things like that. Yeah, there's some parentage questions about Hitler's father. Huh. Historians have discussed three candidates as Aloise's Oh, Hitler's father's father. Okay. Always people being sent away to other cities. You never know who's raising what kid. Uh. I think it was Hitler's stepfather. <laughs> well, it's late. I could keep going. Okay. Well, I, I definitely have some work ahead of me because I don't want to come across as completely ignorant. Um, me too. Yeah, me too. And of course, I don't let that bother me much, you know. <laughs> no, I know, because it is about kind of admitting that we are ignorant in the first place or that we are about as informed as most people because a lot of people know things that aren't true. So... But we definitely need some nice information. Yeah, we can't... Okay. Well, very, very good. I, I hope that I can edit this into a good show. I won't... I'll try to leave more spaces and ums and things... Well, maybe not so many ums, but... Take out the burps, you know. That. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. Sorry about that. But we've got some slow speak thinkers out there, you know. They think just a bit slower than you. Maybe the accommodating them is not a bad idea. Yeah, we'll add some music and stuff, and it will be a nice, easy listening show. Oh, it's always easy listening. It's a just... That's why people love it. Okay, We're good, just good, calm good. and... We're rational. We don't yell at anybody, really. It's good. No. And if we say outrageous opinion, we usually try to back it up. Uh, that's right. I'm trying to get better at that. Yeah, we should do that. That's a psychology bomb. <laughs> we don't want to do that to people. There you go. That's true. All right. All right. Good night, Kay. Have a great Thanks, night. Thanks, you too. Talk to you later. Bye. Good night. I see, I see, I see. But you were telling me.
Just wait for one more turn.